Hey, this is Ethan Embry, and you're listening to the Horror Movie Podcast, where we are dead serious about horror movies. Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. On Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie discussions and reviews for classic films and new releases. We are your horror hosts, Gilman Joel, Dr. Shock, and the Wolfman. This episode is sponsored by Shudder, the Netflix for horror. You can try Shudder free for 30 days. Just go to Shudder.com and use the promo code HMP when signing up. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and promo code HMP. Okay, we are here doing another Screaming Online, and we're bringing you 30 movies that you must, well, maybe not must, we'll find out some of them, you should (laughs) check out. And we're doing this because our next episode, wait for it, will be the HMP Top 10 Lists of 2020, 2020, I'm saving Wolfman time there, she's not adding effects or anything. Be sure to check out HorrorMoviePodcast.com for an upcoming post that will tell you how you can share your top 10 with us as well. Wolfman, do you want to kick us off before we start ripping through this list of 30 Screaming Online movies? Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to let people know a couple of people lost. Are you guys still doing your top 10 list this year? Yes, we are. Um, we just decided we wanted more time to watch movies, frankly, you know, and um, it Paid off for the listeners, I think, because we've got 30 new reviews that we bring in this week. So hopefully that's cool with everybody. We still want to hear your top 10 lists. There will be some prizes for a few lucky winners. And we will put a post, like Joel said, at hormoviepodcast.com to let you know how you can officially submit your list. Now, a couple of people have already sent them to me. Uh, either sent me like their Letterbox top 10 or Red Cap Jack or sent me his via private message. That's cool. I like seeing it. But if you want to officially enter it so that we can be counted as the listener top 10, which we will read on the show, we'll be reading the listeners top 10 lists on the show. You need to use the official submission ballot. Also, I just wanted to give a quick in memoriam to a very amazing woman who was been, has been kind of dumped on in the horror community. And I just think she's amazing. And her husband is amazing. And I'm big fans of both of them. And yeah, her last film wasn't great. And a lot of people, you know, like to make fun of it. But uh, Stacy Title 
who I just think is just an incredible human being, um, and her husband, Jonathan Penner, who I'm a huge fan of. He was a contestant on Survivor. That's what, how I'm aware of him. But then he's also gone on to write uh, some horror books and screenplays, and uh, he's a big horror fan, and he's part of the horror community, and and I just love the two of them. Uh, Stacy directed The Bye Bye Man, which Jonathan wrote, and um, you know a lot of people like to trash that movie. That's fine. Um, but she lost her battle with ALS yesterday oh. as we record this, oh, and boy. she's just been suffering for the last two years, and I've been following their story. And, um, and man, she's just an amazing person. She fought so hard and, um, and succumbed to it yesterday. So I just wanted to dedicate this episode to Stacey Title. May you rest in peace. You're an amazing person. And much love to Stacey's family, especially Jonathan, who I'm a big fan of, but also, of course, her beautiful children who she's leaving behind. So. Oh, that is, uh, that is, uh, I had no idea. In fact, I didn't even realize she was the director of The Last Supper. Remember that one from the mid '90s? Is a very oh dark God. comedy. One of my favorite movies. It's dude. a great. That's a great movie. And I hadn't seen the Bye Bye Man. Um, to your point, I had not heard great things about it. But as we've established, my uh, track record for getting to uh, present day movies is is limited as it is. But I, yeah, that is a real shame. Actually, my wife's uncle just passed away from ALS about two weeks ago. So, oh wow, yeah, that's wow. That's yeah, a shame. Rough. yeah. She, um, she had. Because actually the Bye Bye Man was financially successful, they had a lot of interest in uh, Jonathan and Stacy as a partner, you know, as a partnership, as a writing and directing duo. And um, they had been hired on the Kong Skull Island uh, series. They were both writing for that show. Even after she had ALS, she was, she couldn't speak anymore, but she could speak through an electronic keyboard situation and she was still working and she was hoping to direct her final film, which Jonathan wrote called walking time bomb and Bob Odenkirk, Jason Alexander, Carrie Elwes were signed on to be in the film and they were going to actually let her direct the film like from her wheelchair, not being able to speak. And it would have been amazing had that happened. I can't find any other, production information about it online only pre-production talk about it so i'm not sure that ever actually happened but um i hope it did but i don't think it did based on just not being able to find out any info on it Mm -hmm. but yeah really rough go of it and um survivor fans will know her because she was on the show visiting her husband a couple times and this amazing guy, Yul Kwan, um, who was on the show, had dedicated his play last season to her. And if he had won the money, he was donating all of his proceeds to ALS research. And so it was kind of a cool thing that their family did. But yeah, Jonathan's cool. We've given away one of his books on the show. Um, Horror Cinema is what it's called. It's like a coffee table book that's amazing. I'd recommend everyone check it out. But yeah, anyway, rest in peace, Stacy Title. Absolutely. Uh, definitely. And with that, I was saying say on that up note, uh, we'll uh, we'll go. Here we go, guys. We're going to our list. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, uh, we will then move in to our screaming online, where we will now cover thirty movie titles that you should watch. Dot dot dot, or else. Oh.
I don't know else what, but you know, <laughs> that was more directed at myself, actually. <laughs> I, don't even, I wouldn't go that far. You probably don't need to watch all of these. Okay, we'll find out. Let's find yeah. out. So, starting right off the top is hashtag alive. Yeah, Alive actually is one that if you like zombie movies, you should check out. I know that there are a lot of people who are kind of have hit their saturation point with zombie films. I get it. I still like them if they're good. You know, there were a lot of bad ones and we had even just, you know, a lot of series and things that kind of got people burned out. But if it's a good zombie movie, it's a good zombie movie. And this one is not amazing but it's good it's called hashtag alive it's from south korea which uh, usually is means good things to me now this one doesn't have that same joyous tonal oddity bliss that a lot of south korean films do but it's still fun and it's a uh, it's kind of like a teen movie i guess it's about a young man whose family goes out for the day and he you know wakes up late and then he the zombie outbreak happens and he's stuck in his apartment it's kind of like a light zombie horror film it's got a lot of heart it's in the vein of the night eats the world if anyone saw that french film but it's lighter and kind of more fun than that uh, i wouldn't call it super comedic but it is definitely a, a bit of comedy in it um and it's just kind of like a day in the life about this kid stuck in his apartment really but it's interesting it, it, this made me want to prepare for an apocalypse <laughs> in a different way than a lot of zombie movies do. This was, it was, you know, people always make fun of uh, having physical media these days. Like a lot of our friends, like Dino, for instance, is all about the cloud. And I'm always like, yeah, but that can be taken away, man. And that's what I like seeing in this film is that this kid is like, well, who cares? I can play video games all day. And then, all of a sudden, his uh, Xbox doesn't work anymore because all of his games were online and, and he can't access them. And then his music is online and he can't access it. So he's in this TV goes offline. So he's more and more stuck alone in this apartment, which is great for the film. But it just made me glad. Hey, guess what? I still have a VHS collection. Boom in your face. <laughs> But uh, no, yeah, it's a, it's it's a it's a nice film, and I, it's just about this kid stuck alone for ninety percent of the film. At some point, he notices another person nearby in his apartment complex, and who's alive as well. And so their interaction kind of drives the rest of the movie. But yeah, it was it was a fun movie. I really liked it. Um, there's nothing that is particularly groundbreaking especially kind of amidst the post train Basan South Korean zombie boom, but it's a solid entry in the zombie genre. It manages to be fun and feel fresh at the same time. It's a perfectly enjoyable watch. I give hashtag alive, which is a terrible title, but it works actually within the context of the film, a seven point five out of 10. And I say rent it. It is currently streaming on Netflix. I'm really glad to know that. I remember seeing the trailer for this and thinking at first, I, when I heard that the sequel to train to Busan was coming, I was thinking for a, a hot second, I was like, wait, is this what this is? Cause it actually looked really good. And then I realized, Oh no, it's something completely different, but uh, I had completely forgotten about it. So thank you for the reminder. I'm as we talk, by the way, I am making a list. <laughs> Of the ones I'm going to try to catch up on before we record next. So this is definitely on my top because I'm still yeah, a zombie this is, fan. This is no Train to Busan, but I've and I haven't seen Peninsula yet, which is the actual Train to Busan sequel. Yes. But I have heard better things about Hashtag Live than I have about Peninsula okay. so far. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Now, now another one 
that I haven't gotten to, but this falls into the because I'm a cheap SOB bucket uh, and because they wanted to charge me initially $20. Although I think it's now down to a reasonable rate. So I, I really, my excuses are off the table. So please tell me what was originally when we actually had those things called movie theaters was going to be one of my top movies to go see in 2020 at the theater. Antebellum. Yeah, Antebellum is uh, a 2020 film. It is directed by Gerard Bush and Christopher Renz and written by those two as well. And this was one of the hotly, uh, what do you call it, anticipated films of the year. And then it kind of got a lot of backlash. And I was curious if that was just because people were paying $14.99 to watch it at home. (laughs) 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 For $5.99. And I got to say, I quite enjoyed Antebellum. Now, I will say there were a lot of things that the filmmakers had to overcome. It has... I resist even saying this because then people are just waiting for it, but it has a twist that is very easy to mock, you know? And, and so I can understand for people who don't like the twist, it will just be laughable kind of, you know, for me, I loved it. And I didn't know anything about this movie. I hadn't seen a trailer for it. And I would recommend to others, if you can go in blind this is one to go in blind on. I did not watch the trailer, and I feel like I was rewarded for not watching the trailer. It was really a fresh experience. Antebellum has an extremely ambitious conceit, which it doesn't quite pull off. And so I think that is another frustration. I personally was on the edge of my seat for the entire runtime of the film. Um, on a technical level, the film looks great. The performances are fantastic, particularly Janelle Monet, who is the star of the film. The score is this classic sweeping score. And um, I thought that was fantastic. The hate, in my opinion, is not deserved but I do understand it. Um, You have to kind of overcome cynics. It is a racially charged film, so you have to overcome racists. And it is a bit of a slow burn that doesn't explain what's going on, so you have to overcome the short attention span of horror fans all at once. And Joel, I do not think you will like this movie. Really? Joel, you fall into the fourth category of people who don't like this type of film. Really? um, Which is is this explicitly tells you its view on politics so what you're saying is i prefer a more subtle nuanced approach to that as opposed here's the thing though i would argue we okay let me me do it this way i love get out and i'd say that's you know us i mean there's an i guess they're a little more nuanced though i don't know it depends on how heavy-handed it is is it let me put it this way is this the horror equivalent of the uh, crash movie that (laughs) that paul haggis did back in the day well i think that's just such a unfair comparison because okay. nothing is as bad as crash okay. in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. right. and so it's like it's, a, it's an easy way to taint a movie by Got, comparing it gotcha. to crash. okay i think i'm okay with characters in a movie having strong political and social opinions so mm-hmm. something like get out chris that character is kind of reserved he is actually kind of forgiving of the racism he's experiencing. He's like, don't worry about it, babe. I deal with this stuff all the time. It's not a big deal. Mm. And so I think that's very easy for someone to watch who might normally be challenged by those ideas, which I think is why get out was so successful with. I see what you're saying. No, I see what you're saying. That made, it made white people scared of white people, but yes, continue. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And it doesn't challenge, like, it doesn't say like, 
you're bad if you do this. And I understand nobody likes being called bad for any reason. And so that's, I understand that this is maybe not the most politically strategic way to approach a film, but I will just say, I think it's okay for a movie to have a point of view because ultimately all movies have a point of Absolutely. view. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't, it doesn't bother me if someone's overt about what their point of view let is. Me, let I, me say this. This is where I fall down on it. I am let, I, I want to make sure I'm clear on this. If a character has that opinion whether i agree with the opinion or not like it's truly coming from the character like it's really grounded in that i think where i get a little frustrated a la a crash type movie is when it feels like authorial intrusion and i get that somebody's authoring it so obviously it's their point of view i get all that stuff but i feel like great characters like i don't believe when somebody does a movie about say skinheads to bring that up uh i don't think necessarily the people who are writing those characters agree with the things that those characters are saying so Mm. and i think that ability to you know get into a character's head and let the character speak for themselves so if a character is strongly political i have no problem with that it's when i feel like it's less that and more of a voice from the outside that's being pressed down on people that may not otherwise have gone, you know, gone in those directions. Now that's all I'm saying for me. That's, I get that. Like you're saying for you, maybe that doesn't bother you, but that's where I, that's why I don't mind it. If it's political, as long as I feel like that's coming from the story, from the characters and it feels more organic. Maybe that's So you feel like the filmmaker has to remain objective. I don't necessarily think they have to stay objective, but I think I don't want it to be super duper for me. I don't want it to be super duper obvious necessarily. Where like, they- I mean, I, I don't think you're crazy for thinking this. This is what Quentin Tarantino says about his characters. Mm-hmm. He says he places no moral judgment on his characters. Yes. Yes. He likes the characters. Yep. It doesn't matter to him if they're racist or if they're liberal or yep. whatever. Yep. He just writes the characters who they are. Yep. And then you can infer whatever you want yes. from yes. watching the Let film. the audience, because it's that idea that, you know, you and I could go see the exact same movie and not speak through the whole thing as we shouldn't. And I, at the end of it, the credits start rolling out thinking, what a piece of complete garbage. It was a dumb mistake. And then I turn to you and you've got tears in your eyes and you've been so, why? We both just saw the same freaking movie. It's because what we bring to the movie. So I tend to subscribe to the Tarantino model of morally ambiguous <laughs> i guess that's yeah. the best way to put and it I, I i subscribe to the opposite i love tarantino's stuff and i think that's fine like i don't have an opinion against that but i i almost think it's braver or i because I, 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 I guess what i see with that more is people hiding behind not wanting to offend part of the audience by not speaking their truth yeah but do you, do, do, you think Tar- see- do you think tarantino's worried about offending anybody <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, he's, but his primary goal is to, is to entertain yes. the audience. Yes, and he, he is his own audience. He's sure. only caring. He only cares about what he. That's true. Yeah. Wants and two, so he is only actually serving himself in the way he writes. But he is all his main goal is to be entertained. Right? Gotcha. Yeah, and I think there are other uses for art. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And so, like. I don't want to bring this movie up again. I really wish I wasn't saying this right now. I, oh, wait, hold on. Let me guess. Let me guess. Is it a remake of a remake? <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite Christmas movie. That was made in 1974. Okay. Continue. <laughs> Had a couple of remakes. Uh, yes. 
And now, now, okay, now, so that's an interesting example. I mean, look, we're not going to solve this today. I do actually love this topic, and I think we can do a whole themed episode on it. And really, I haven't thought about this before I'm talking. I'm seeing it as it's coming to my mind, is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to mm-hmm. say. But in that movie, a lot of people were annoyed by characters in that film who exhibited traits of cancel culture that's prevalent in our society today. I think that for me was a non-issue because those felt like real characters that exist in our world and that I know personally. And it's interesting for me to see them on screen in a film because that's real life. Now the film's authors also made very heavy handed points through the narrative and dialogue of villainous characters um, who, and for me, that's the stuff that didn't work as well. And I think, and I think that's the stuff that's, um, it's all fair to criticize, but I think that's the stuff that makes more sense to criticize in my opinion, because that is the author torquing the story and the characters to fit their political message. That a lot of the stuff that those characters did didn't feel real to what they would have done based on the knowledge we had in the story. So that's a failure of the writing in terms of not creating characters that could back up their worldview. But I don't think the characters being overtly political is necessarily an issue. No, what you just said though, what you just said, the way you just said it, that's my, that's my, if I have a quote unquote beef, that would be it. I don't mind it if it backs, like it feels like it's good writing and it's backing up those characters' worldviews. And that, yeah, absolutely. I, sorry, I don't want to stray too far off topic. The, the main character in Antebellum is an activist. And so I think just the types of conversations she's engaging in, her worldview, who she sees as villainous, could be very off putting to a lot of people. That's what I, that's gotcha the main thing here also yes there's kind of a twist element that is a little awkward in execution and it could be a little cringy and hamful for the time is is it better than the twist element in black christmas 2019 <laughs> i love the twist okay. it's just easy to mock oh it's so easy <laughs> no i'm no 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 I'm talking about Antebellum. Oh, Antebellum. I, I thought you meant Black Christmas. <laughs> I hate loathe of the twist in Black Christmas. <laughs> okay, okay. I thought you meant. I thought you were like going to try to defend. I'm like, no, what? Come on, Wolfman. You can't no, even love, defend that. I love the twist in Antebellum. Oh, okay, gotcha. I'm with you now. It reminds me of another film that has a very oft mocked twist that this reminds me of. Okay. Um, but anyway, it, there there is one scene in particular where our main character is giving a speech. At like supposed supposedly an academic conference, but that is not what academic conferences look like. <laughs> and um, that to me was just like, oh, I can't, this is so on the nose, and like this is doing what I don't. Like. But that was the only scene where I really felt like that. Most of the time, I felt like uh, the characters were living into what we'd expect if this happened to these people, right? And so I, I liked that. The, it was a bold vision, and it earned my attention, and I was completely on board the entire runtime of the movie. And then as the twists start happening, I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't think I like this. I don't know if I like this. But ultimately, it was good. And not for nothing, the film, I think, in my opinion, illustrates the absurdity of slavery better than any movie I've ever seen, just due to the way it toys with the context of slavery. Mm, okay. Um I also just found it to be very scary. Like this terrified me to my core in a way that a movie like get out did, which is rare where I just truly feel like, Oh, like this is a bit of a real life horror that is like a big pressure on my chest that I don't always 
notice or articulate, you know, and I, I thought that was interesting as well. So sorry, Dave, I was going to tee that up for you. And then I ended yeah, up talking no for problem. 45 minutes. What did you think of it? <laughs> no problem. Um, you know what? I, I did see the trailer for antebellum and that's the reason it was one of my most anticipated when we discussed this uh, mm. at the end of last year i loved the trailer for this movie and it's not the movie i thought it was going to be from the trailer um which now has me thinking you know i might just not watch trailers anymore you know but if, if that's going to be the case <laughs> i'm just not going to watch them anymore uh, at least uh, maybe i'll watch them after the movie after i see the film uh i a lot of what you had said yeah it's really well acted i don't think there's a bad performance in the movie i was i was uh, you know um you had mentioned hold on one second here i'm just pulling it up uh, uh you, you had met uh, mentioned uh Jeanne monet and she's fabulous i think yeah. she was astounding and i loved her character in the movie yeah the the, the conference you're talking about yes i mean that's a lives a little bit on the nose but that didn't even bother me that much to be honest with you and i also thought jenna malone was really good i think this might be the strongest performance i've ever seen her give you're in a right. film I, uh, I generally don't like her so i i kind of always she always just kind of bugs me but you're right she was pretty much flawless and fantastic in this movie she really was um so the performance is great. It's beautifully shot and it does tell a really interesting story where the movie, one of the problems I had with it. And again, it's not the performance. It was the character uh, played by uh, Gabori Sabid. Doesn't really add. She was the, the friend who comes in uh, yeah, um, from the, the girl from, from precious. precious from precious. Yes. Yeah. She doesn't really add anything to the story. And I always, I got the feeling as I was watching her that it was the screenwriter trying to show everyone how clever he is through this character. It, th there's a scene, especially at a restaurant where somebody buys her a drink and the way she approaches that, I'm just kind of like, wow, this is really, it just took me right out of the movie. That, that whole just sequence say, with her. Um, in my opinion, I see. I'm, I don't even want to talk about that scene because I don't want to spoil. I, I didn't even know some uh, some of the elements about this movie going okay. into it because I um, I thought it all took place in the same kind of setting the whole time, and so mm -hmm. I was really surprised when it when it switched. I will just say I think that was to highlight the differences in the ways these characters could move through the world. I think her character was meant to show that she had a much easier time being a black woman than some of the other characters mm -hmm. had. Like she was no nonsense, could boss people around, could kind of do whatever she wanted, could kind of even make fun of a, a white guy and not suffer any consequences from it. You know, could be rude to a white woman and not and be listened to. And I think that was what I took from it is that she was supposed to kind of illustrate like this is what this is like the extreme the other direction so that it it kind of highlighted um hmm. okay the world that our main character kind of gets into that's, very, that's how I it, it could very well I, I think that was the character and i think the performance was really strong i don't know i just and, and i'll have to go maybe i'll go back and look at it in uh you know that i'm not uh, i'm not adverse to watching this movie again I didn't have a problem and I kind of liked the twist as well. Uh, I could kind of see it coming. It's not something that it took me to completely by surprise after we got those other segments, you know, after we got that switch, right. Um, you know, that, that, that certain portion of the movie, 
Um, so I, I can't say that it was like it it, it completely wowed me. It, it didn't wow me by any means. You know? Okay. Yeah. But, I, but, uh, the, but, I, but the switches wowed me. Like mm-hmm. the switches up until that, I was like, what's happening? I love this. This is amazing. But then it was just the ultimate reveal. I was like, huh, okay. It's kind of right. silly. Okay. Yeah. I, I, it's not, it, it was not what I was expecting from the trailer. And that's unfortunate because I yeah. think if I hadn't seen the trailer, I would have been maybe a little bit more satisfied by the end of the movie. Uh, but it's not one that I would, you know, say I, it's not one that I would discourage anybody from watching. I mean, I don't think that the, what's been uh, heaped upon it is, is fully deserved. I think it's definitely better than uh, what I was led to believe. Listen mm-hmm. to some of the hype about it. There were a couple of sequences that, just did wow me. Uh, there was there was setups and payoffs that worked so well with with in terms of like walking across the floor. The, the first time you see it, you're like, "What's going on? Huh, that's interesting." Mm-hmm. And then it pays off in a huge way. Yes, it really does. That that was a that was an amazing sequence in the yeah. late in the movie. That was absolutely amazing. And then there's a sequence. The one of the biggest reveals that happens. Um, with something that's in one of some a person's saddlebag of their horse, I was just like, "What? This is crazy! What is going on?" I was loving that. So, right. um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a fun movie. I think if you if you can handle a little bit of ham-fisted, in-your-face social commentary, and if you're not overly cynical about a kind of silly twist, I think you'll enjoy Antebellum. <laughs> I, I would give Antebellum an eight out of ten. Honestly, without the twist playing out exactly how it did, I might have given it a ten out of ten. Like it, mm. I really, really liked it, and it just kind of petered out for me at the end. And there, were, you know, again, there were a couple of scenes along the way that I didn't love, but mostly loved it. I'd and I say it. it's, I... A, it's a rental under those circumstances. Again, people who hate politics, people who are cynical about silly movie tropes people who don't like slow burns and people who don't like black people (laughs) (laughs) well let's just assume (laughs) that most people fall in the first few categories that are listening right now i hope those are the four groups of people who are not going to like antebellum in my opinion Uh, do you have a rating dave i I do i'd say probably a seven out of ten and i think it's a rental i think it's worth saying Daniel Ehrenberg, who is a friend of mine, uh, kind of just for online stuff. We used to cover Survivor together on another podcast. Um, he is a cynic, and his review of this film is: "I love a capital D dumb twist, but this was just vague and annoying, not coming close to the artistry of even the shittiest Shyamalan." So, <laughs> wow, that's that's kind of if if you're kind of in that. Wow. Kind of maybe I need to rethink my decision. <laughs> this movie. <laughs> Okay. All right. All right. Note to self. All right. Well, then let's move on to one that I'm actually hoping uh, is good because I know that uh, you guys were kind of talking about this on text and and I looked up the uh, the little synopsis on it. I was like, okay, this sounds interesting. Uh, and that's anything for Jackson. So, you know, Dave talked about not watching trailers anymore. I don't watch trailers. Um, I and we're going to talk about this a little bit jokingly a little bit later, but I actually kind of stopped reading descriptions. I kind of even try to kind of like blur my eyes when I read a description. I just want to get a sense of if I'm going to like it or not. But based on this description and based on the poster, I was just like, I don't want to watch this movie. I have no interest in watching this movie. I never would have watched this movie. And I had to force myself to watch this movie. And the only reason I did was because our listeners 
loved it like over and over again i hear people saying you have to see this movie you have to see this movie and so this was one i just forced myself to watch it's a judging the book by its cover thing but it's a big deal for me like the key art um will keep me from watching a movie unless recommended to me it's just will because it looks that's my only image i have of what the film looks like and it didn't appeal to me this movie surprised me within the first two minutes and surprised me more and more and in and in a more fun and exciting ways as the movie went on till the very end um this was the most surprising movie i saw this year by a long shot i can't believe i couldn't believe what i was watching through most of this movie i was so excited watching this unravel um it was completely messed up like deeply disturbing but it was a dark comedy. So especially at least in the first like third, it was completely awful, but done with this kind of weird comedic tone where it's like, well, you can laugh at this and I would be laughing at this if it wasn't so disturbing, <laughs> you know? So it's right in that zone. And I almost think, even though I loved the performances, I thought both of the lead performances were great. I do think it had, actors that could play the comedy just a little bit more it might have worked even better as kind of like a dark comedy because of the countenance of the actors that that we have it just came off as disturbing but it's just an interesting film um it totally blew my hair back it's as dark as anything i've ever seen tonally it's a mix of i don't know if you saw the film sightseers which is a dark comedy and hereditary which is just soul sucking and it's kind of like between those oh, jeez, um, it's got an underlying <laughs> demonic absurdity of something like deathgasm but with kind of like a classy filmic approach and details of a dark song so it's just interesting i just haven't seen anything like until the end at the end it goes off it's totally bananas but somehow it still works and i've never seen anything quite like it it's totally original it was a total surprise it was a slow burn, but a wild slow burn. Like crazy things were happening, even though the pacing kind of crept along, scared the living crap out of me. Um, my response to the film is just as bipolar as the film itself. I was oscillating between, wow, is anything Jackson the sleeper horror film of the year? On one hand, and on the other hand, I'm thinking, what in the actual F did I just watch? <laughs> <laughs> and this was rare. I was relieved when the movie was over. There's there's a certain character who survives at the end of the film. And just like that character, I could not wait to get out of this house. <laughs> it's like, I can't, I'm so glad this is over because <laughs> it messed me up that much. Um, they're just cool visuals. Uh, other people I've seen weren't as kind of blown away as I was, but their ratings are high. Like I, looking over our listeners that I'm connected with on Letterboxd, um, Juan is the lowest rating and he gave it a six and everybody else is in the seven to eight to nine range. So um, yeah, just a really unique film that you have to have you're going to have to steal yourself for it just because of the subject matter. But um, it's not like overly disgustingly gory or overly, you know, tr- like there's nothing like awful 
it's hard to say there are awful things that happen but ultimately it's like a safe film like it's not i'm not putting you into some i won't even mention the names of the movies but like you know there are certain movies like let's say cannibal hulk i'm not i'm not sending you into cannibal holocaust where you're going to witness something like you can never recover from it's ultimately you're gonna it's a movie (laughs) but um there are it's just intense and this uh, this really really messed with me. So I give anything for Jackson a eight. Mm. I think mm. it could have been higher if I'd have enjoyed it myself more. <laughs> but I was just like in shock the whole time. Like I felt like I went underwent something kind of traumatic. Um, and yeah, I think it's a high priority rental recommendation if you can handle kind of some intense material. And, um, yeah, that's it. It's a high priority stream. I would buy it actually. Oh, wow. I think just to see, just to see like how they made it and everything, because there are some really interesting, unique images in here. It plays with Satanism in a way I've never seen done seriously. Like anyone else who's handled Satanism in this way, it's, a joke and again this is kind of a dark comedy like if you if you cast julie louis dreyfus and will ferrell in this movie i probably would have been laughing my head off through the entire film but because it's so serious um <laughs> even those kind of off the wall you know, even those kind of sillier scenes have just kind of a darker overtone to them so is it a dark comedy in the way that people have referred to texas chainsaw massacre as a dark comedy (laughs) (laughs) no i I, it's hard for me to explain this movie it's just i haven't really seen anything like it. i'm looking forward to it your 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 description of uh it's between sightseers and hereditary it's uh i mean that's almost like saying it's kind of between downtown la and the andromeda galaxy (laughs) yes Well, it's not like it's not halfway between them, and it's it's a bit of both, right? So you're getting like it's like one part sightseers, one part hereditary, with kind of the demonic elements of deathgasm, but presented in the way of a dark song. Wow! Hmm. Wow! A dark <laughs> yeah. song. There you go. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I, this is all, this one. I'm definitely going to get in before our next episode. I, I am going to as Beca- well because we, we, and the reason specifically is because I feel like despite you know Wolfman's uh, uh, protestations that uh, I won't like certain movies because of certain reasons, I am always confident that the line because I think Wolfman, your line and my line are a lot are similar. Now I know there's some movies yeah. I like that are maybe a little grimier than what you prefer, like uh, Hills Have Eyes or that kind of thing. But for the most part, I have this like emotional line that i just it, it, to some movies i just want i just don't want you know it's like i'm getting old and i don't want it in my head so yeah. i think that you when you say like this is disturbing but it rides that line i'm like okay cool yeah i'll i'll uh i'll be happy to check that out so uh, i think as as emotionally nihilistic as it feels at, at a couple points it does actually pay off emotionally like in a satisfying cool. human way by Got the it. end cool 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 okay yeah, I love Hereditary a lot. However, I've only seen it once. Like I'm like I, that's one of the few movies of modern memory for me that I like to bring myself to, to watch it again. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's, it's, okay, okay, hey. All right. So, are you ready to uh, to move into our next yeah. title? Uh, we are going to, if I can bring up my notes here that were literally right in front of me. Okay, here we go. Blood and Flesh: The Real Life and Ghastly Death of Al Adamson, and that's real, spelled R 
E-E-L. And uh, this is a documentary. And I'll just real quick read the Imdaba blurb, which is Maverick indie filmmaker Al Adamson's real life was even crazier than one of the 30 plus sex and schlock driving movies he made in the 60s and 70s. And uh, that's not actually accurate from what I could tell from this documentary, because his real life, while he was the son of uh, an actor slash director and an actress from the silent era and his dad like it's started his own kind of like early days indie kind of company like to kind of he was he was like an early maverick in his own right it seemed like Mm. al adamson himself and his life were relatively by by the standards of of a lot of people who it seems like made movies in that time period and all the eccentricities and all the excesses he was relatively mild it's more later in his life (laughs) when things really right. go sideways um i really enjoyed this documentary a lot i think if you're a fan obviously if you're a person who just loves hearing stories about uh, filmmaking and uh, you know drive-in era stuff and exploitation type movies and that kind of thing dave this will totally be in your wheelhouse i'm yeah this is something i i've i just look back at that um, at my blog i reviewed five of al adamson's movies uh, over the course of my 2500 and the best being satan's sadists from 1969. Uh, I'm really anxious to see this because I also uh, had heard, and I know going in just about his his awful, you know, what happened to him. It's in the, the title. You know, his awful death. <laughs> it's in the title. Yeah, well, it's in the title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but just just the terrible circumstances surrounding, um, you know, his, his death. Yes. Um, it's really, it is a documentary I really, really want to check out. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's sort of by the numbers in a lot of ways. I mean, it's very much talking head. Um, the first hour, 10 minutes is mostly devoted to his uh, his upbringing in in, in you know, on the out, sort of outskirts of Hollywood. But yet he was always involved with filmmaking because of his parents, as specifically his dad. And then it gets into obviously his career and getting to the drive in and his work with uh, Sam Sherman. And so there's all this really cool mm. history stuff that I love. And even mm. though I don't think of Al Adamson as like a regional filmmaker necessarily, uh, but he was he, he has that same aesthetic uh, you know and that same quality as like a well, william uh, was it grefe is that you say his name g-r-e-f-e the the florida filmmaker uh that, that yeah, yeah. you know did things like you know yeah. mako jaws of death stuff like that so um i haven't seen a lot of his movies in fact uh, dracula versus frankenstein i think i actually got from you dave when you were doing your sell-off of all oh yeah i think so yeah yep and, and look <laughs> and, and not, none of his movies I don't think even Al Adamson, I think, would have been the first person to say, his movies no. are high art, or even... No, no, they're not. That's why I said Satan Sadists uh, is yeah. probably the best of the five that I reviewed, because I did review uh, Dracula versus Frankenstein as well. Um, uh, what was it? Brain of Blood, Cinderella 2000, and The Blood of Dracula's Castle. Yeah. You know, it, it, yeah, they're, they're schlock. Oh, you they're know, total they're just, schlock. That's straight up schlock. That's all they are. But he's yep. one of those people that just owned that, I think. Mm-hmm. And just, and oh, di- yeah. You know, didn't get, didn't get high and mighty about it. Didn't give me like, well, you know, how can you judge my, no, no, no. He's like, I know what I'm making and I'm making movies, entertain people. And that's enough. And I don't yep. know. There, there was just something uh, interesting about him and about his uh, just, time making these movies and obviously it's a totally different time it's just they get a lot of interesting stories so if this is something uh, an era that you're interested in if you love drive-in movies if you love al adamson movies any of that kind of thing i think you will dig uh this particular movie i give it an eight out of ten i absolutely say you should watch it it is on shutter um so yeah check it out there for sure that is blood and flesh the real life and ghastly death of al adamson All right. So next up on the agenda, we have 
Books of Blood. And I'll be taking this one as well. <laughs> now, did either of you get a chance to see this one? No, no, I haven't okay. even heard of this one. Okay, it's, I it, it, it's Clyde Barker. It's a, it's a based on his uh, his uh, short stories, uh, books of blood. Now, the thing is, here's the thing. Full disclosure for me and Clyde Barker, I am a big appreciator of Clyde Barker. I have read The Thief of Always, but and I've read I, a long time ago a couple of his short stories. But uh, unlike my my good buddy Tyson Hanks, um, who who's read a lot of his stuff, and I have some other friends. And Dave, I know you are a massive Hellraiser fan. I've always I think appreciated yep. Clyde Barker. Now Nightbreed, I absolutely freaking love. I, just, I don't know what it is yeah. about that movie. I just love that movie. Um, yep. But so I I felt like after watching Books of Blood, it's on Hulu. It's a Hulu original. I kind of came away thinking I either a lot of this was updated or it was heavily tweaked. So I'd really be fascinated to know how much of this is actually adhering to Barker's original text. Now, this is set up as a kind of an anthology, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, but it's it's an anthology that does, by the end, connect really well together. I mean, these don't just feel like separate stories that are only connected because they're all in the same town or, you know, it, it definitely they're more a little more integrated than that as it, as it goes on. But it's it definitely is set up as an anthology. Um, and I almost get the vibe after watching it, like the intention is to do more than one of these uh, uh, in the long run. So the description is a journey into uncharted and forbidden territory through three tales tangled in space and time. And yeah, that, that pretty much, you know, hits the nail on the head it was uh, directed by uh, brandon braga and it stars Britt robertson she plays a character named jenna and that's the thing is that each story is a character's name and when you see it as a quote-unquote title card you can tell very quickly that their name has been carved into someone's flesh and it, it's you know so you first get jenna the second st uh, story is miles and the third story is bennett and like I said, they're all integrated. I don't want to give too much away. It's not a perfect movie by any stretch, but I liked it, I think, way more than I thought I would. And for some reason, specifically, the story with Jenna, with Britt Robertson, I thought she gave a fantastic performance. She plays this young woman. She seems to be dealing with some sort of mental illness, but specifically that it's related to a trauma she experienced in college. And so initially, that setup would lead one to think that maybe some kind of assault or something happened. But as it unfolds, it is not necessarily what you think happened happened um and she also suffers from a condition and i thought they said it's called misophobia but i might have written it down wrong which is basically like the hatred of sound so she and, and i could kind of relate to this because i don't know how you guys feel about this when you're eating with people and they're smacking a lot <laughs> and, and and to like i'm one of those people like i'm like okay please stop it's grating it's not <laughs> yeah, my wife definitely has that. oh man it's just it's just like oh please oh, oh and but she gets to the point where she has to like put noise canceling headphones on it's so bad and uh but she ends up running away and ending up at this sort of bed and breakfast with this really sweet couple who want to help her and she's being followed by this strange mysterious figure and i think the thing that worked the best for me in this movie because it's not heavy on the horror i mean there's a few gore moments in it for sure and the ones that happen are really nice and juicy <laughs> but i think after being you know knowing of the hellraiser uh you know, hellbound heart kind of you know hellraiser 2 or nightbreed or any of those other earlier barker works i always think of them as being just so much wetter and squishier and twisted than this thing ended up being like this was surprisingly tame 
in a way to me like if you're not somebody who likes barker's work because of some of the places it can tend to go and like it could be really like holy what am i saying i kind of feel like this was surprisingly i don't know like just traditional like it, it didn't feel you know what i mean like it didn't have that that same level now for some people that would probably be a turnoff if like you're a huge barker fan because you like that his stuff can go go different places that you don't expect i just think that if you're a horror fan at all there's some of the things in here you'll see coming but in a weird way it just it still worked and uh, like i said the performances i thought were great across the board and the uh the horror especially in that first story which takes up a good 45 minutes to almost an hour of the you know it's only an hour and 40 minute movie so it takes up definitely the the biggest uh, chunk of real estate but it uh, i liked it a lot I, I just enjoyed the story and i liked some of the twists and turns in the in the way because in the way it everything kind of ties in together at the end because there was a couple of seeming resolutions at the end of these individual anthology stories where i actually thought well god i loved everything but like the la the way that ended like that kind of that's where that, that sucked like that kind of it was too eh, like what was that that wasn't that didn't feel complete like tied off it felt kind of like just like oh yeah we got to finish this one move on to the next one but give it to the end because like there's a reason like there's a there, there's a, in my opinion more of a payoff so uh for me i would give books of blood a seven out of ten I would absolutely say uh, check it out. I if you go and search for it like in Prime or something, there is another Books of Blood. I guess they made a different version back in 2009, I think it was, which I didn't even okay. know that. Um, but uh, this, yeah, this is the one that's currently available on Hulu as a Hulu original. So check it out. Interesting. Yeah, I was looking over Barker's filmography just to confirm that Candyman was the only of his oh, films and of course that Candyman. I love. Yes, and, well, and, 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 and you know what it is because I, I think I don't know why I never think of that being a Barker movie, <laughs> but I know it is, and I love it yeah. too. So yeah, yeah. Well, I, that's the one I love. I, I I appreciate most the ones that he directed: uh, Hellraiser, Nightbreed, and Lord of Illusions. I yes. think those are all yes. interesting. Um, most of the movies based on his work are just like crappy sequels that he probably had nothing to do with. That you know. Uh, obviously rawhead rex is interesting yes. um but uh anyway as i was looking over i just saw not only is there the new Candyman that's coming out there is a reboot a new hellraiser okay directed by the guy who directed the ritual is mm. coming out which huh i would have said oh, that's probably not gonna be good until it was the director of the ritual then i'm like wow that could actually be very interesting um, I thought that was a great movie. And then there's a Nightbreed TV series that's been announced Ooh, as well. So. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I really want to go back and revisit Lord of Illusions because I think when it came out, I don't remember digging it that much. But, you know, it's been 20 yeah, some odd years. Good, but it's like there's something about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to like do like a Prince of Darkness, Lord of Illusions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just kind of wrap up all those kind of like things that happen in a basement movies yeah <laughs> that'd be great so yeah so i i would definitely say if you're into barker or if you know you just want to find watch a if you're an anthology horror fan um it, it was definitely worth a watch so books of blood cool all right so next up on the agenda we have a movie that is technically a remake and i'm gonna i'm waiting with bated breath to see can we top jeffrey combs and barbara crampton in castle freak which they're not in this one this is the new one but to my knowledge they're not in this one so can this one top the one that they were in i think it's better personally what? i mean I, oh boy i know that sacrilege probably um i i was just not ever a huge fan of the original castle freak i appreciate it but it's not like i didn't think it was a great movie 
Um, and I don't think this is a great movie either, but I think it's an interesting remake. What I like about it is it brings in more Lovecraftian elements that weren't in hmm. the the Stuart Gordon film. You know, I mean, he he kind of took a Lovecraft short story as just the jumping off point for his film and basically wrote the rest and kind of credited it to Lovecraft, probably because there was some marketing potential with you know, crediting the story of Lovecraft. Sure. Um, Barbara Crampton is actually a producer on this film. This was produced by the last iteration of Fangoria right before they went tets up. Um, this stars uh, Claire Catherine, who was a model, and this is her first acting job. And I thought she was really good. Like, I was extremely impressed with her. Um, there is an actor, Jake Horowitz, who is the lead of The Vast of Night, which I really loved that I saw at Slamdance uh, a year or two ago, I guess, now at this point, you know, last time the world was open for business. <laughs> and then just, you know, a bunch of other actors who were fine. But those two, especially the leads, are, are fantastic. They changed a few things. It's not a direct remake. It's kind of like inspired by Castle Freak. It's close. Like there are a lot of similarities, but there are also just as many differences. And I thought they did a great job. The castle that they shot on is beautiful. I feel like the story makes more sense, even though the story is bananas when you actually think about it. I think it is makes more sense than the original. Like it just feels more organic, I guess, than the original. Um they still have a character who's blind and I, and I do love, I mean, it's on the nose. It's obvious, but I do love the idea of the blind person being our prophetess where she can see what the sighted cannot see. <laughs> like that's an interesting dynamic. I think it's funny. Cause like it's supposed to take place in Massachusetts and Albania. And it's very clear that the Massachusetts scenes were also shot in Albania. <laughs> but, <laughs> other than that, other than like the really weird Eastern European feeling Massachusetts, I would say this works pretty well for a um, low budget movie. And I, I, I mean, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the original, so I don't know what it would feel like to like have that expectation necessarily. But as someone who was kind of coming to it from, I just wanted to see Barbara Crampton. Yes, she wasn't in it, so uh, I was a little disappointed, and I was even more disappointed because the main character's mother plays a main role in the movie, and the main character looks like she could be Barbara Crampton's daughter. So I was like, <laughs> oh sweet, yeah, Barbara Crampton's gonna be the mom of this character. It's gonna be awesome. She wasn't. Okay, so, real, real quick, quick, Josh, I don't mean to cut you off. Uh, is there tapping? Am I hearing a tapping? Or am I imagining that? Do you guys hear something? Right there. I'm not hearing it. Dave, do you hear it? No. It was weird. It was like a almost like somebody's like tapping on like an old school keyboard, but not. Huh. Nope, I don't hear it now. I don't. I don't hear that at all. That's so weird. Okay, continue. I'm sorry because I just want to make sure because somebody was typing. I just want to make sure you knew it was coming through, but then neither of you could hear it. So I'm hearing things. Mm, that's great. All right, sorry about that. So, so in a nutshell, what you're saying is is that there's no Barbara crafted, and then on a, a, a perfect uh, or, or a, rather a personal uh, heartbreaking note, there's no Jeffrey Combs. I'm assuming. There is an allusion to Reanimator at the end of this movie, okay. which I thought was fun and well done. Okay, actually, the way they tied it in. Okay, all right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, there's no Jeffrey Combs, and I mean Barbara Crampton is like an extra in it, but you're not supposed to really know. Gotcha. It's her, you know, yeah, you can tell it's her, but gotcha. Uh, yeah, it was fun. I liked it. I thought it was a, it was a worthy remake, and I think if anything else, just to get another Jake Horowitz movie and to have the introduction of Clark Catherine 
as an actress, she's fantastic. Like I, I think she's going to be a big star. Like she's really, really good. I thought, cool. you know, for especially for her first film in a low budget horror movie. I mean, I was like, wow, okay, this is good. And the, if you like body horror and you like really just disgusting stuff, it has, <laughs> it has some crazy body horror in it. And also it, you know, the freak element of the castle freak is, is on full display here more so than in the first film. So is it safe to say that the castle freak lets his freak flag fly? I can't even say it. <laughs> he did it. He did it. I tried. I could fry like at the end. Oh, well, it was worth a shot. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of freak. Um, <laughs> but it, it's good. I would like to hear this on Android's podcast. I'd like to hear a serious discussion of this film at full length. But I don't know. It was interesting. And um, yeah, that's got some of that bigger cosmic weird stuff pulled into the world of Castle Freak, which, you know, wasn't at all the original, but feels right, seen as it's kind of inspired by Lovecraft. So yeah, cool. it was cool. What do you give it? What's the, what's the rating? Oh boy, that's a good question. Um, I will give this one a six out of ten and call it a low priority rental. All right, then let's go on to Centigrade. Ooh, Centigrade made me so annoyed. Um, <laughs> it could have been a great movie. It is a movie about a married couple who find themselves trapped in their frozen vehicle after a blizzard and struggle to survive amid plunging temperatures and unforeseen obstacles. And if you pay attention to the news, you probably heard about that guy who was trapped in his car for like an extremely long time in Europe. There was also a married couple who was trapped in New Mexico for two days. Um, there, you know, there are a bunch of different stories where this has happened to people. Uh, and in this case of this film, these guys are driving in Norway during a blizzard and they pull over on the side of the road because it's whiteout conditions. And then they wake up in the morning and they try to get out of the car and they can't open the door and they're there for 24 days. <laughs> 24 days? Wow. <laughs> what are you crazy? It's so stupid. Like, th- it it had so much potential. Like, I love 127 hours. I love 127 hours. I love Buried with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, Phone Booth with Colin Farrell. Those are all movies that people were skeptical about going in because they're one location thrillers with somebody stuck in a place. They all pulled it off. Danny Boyle is one of, in my opinion, one of the greatest loving directors and his movie was like 10 minutes shorter than this movie. (laughs) 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 It's brutal. It's so much, it's so boring and just agonizing, which is, I understand that's part of, what you want to accomplish when you're telling a story about people trapped in their car. I think having been now in a quarantine situation where I know what it feels like to stay inside a house for two weeks with no outside contact, let alone in a car for longer than that, or having known what it feels like to drive across country and just be inside a car every day for five days. The idea that these people didn't eat each other alive in 24 days is insane. I mean, it's just there should, and there just needed to be more action. There needed to be more attempts like in 127 hours. You feel like he tried everything and you don't feel like they've tried everything a lot. I think that's the problem. I liked the performances. I, I really like both of the actors. I think it shot nicely. They did a good job of showing them being trapped in this location. I, 
it bothers me that it's based on actual events, but they didn't give us a believable scenario. And it's not based on any one real people. They kind of like took their favorite elements of a bunch of different stories, but the elements they took, in my opinion, don't make sense for this particular film. On day two of being trapped in the car, they realize we need to go to the bathroom and they come up with a plan of how they're going to handle that situation. But they never address that again for the next 22 days. And I have a feeling the bathroom situation would have got a lot more disgusting in the next 22 days. And there's no hint of that kind of being part of the problem they're dealing with. Now, of course they aren't eating much. So I will give them that, (laughs) but it's still kind of an interesting watch. If you've never seen another trapped in one location movie, you might really enjoy this, I think. But I think having seen now Buried in 127 hours and knowing what those great filmmakers do to kind of like get you out of that location or utilize every element of the location, I don't feel like they did that here with Centigrade. So it's well-made enough that I will give it a 6 out of 10. But for me, it's a very, very low priority rental. Are you sure you want to? You sure you want to stick with your six? <laughs> Honestly, if they had done this, because I like I like the actors. I don't think it's their fault. I don't think the, I think the direction was good. You know, in terms of I think the screenplay was a problem. I think they needed more obstacles to overcome, and it needed to be like a week for it to be twenty four days is just too much to make it believable with the characters and the situation they have them in, and they didn't. You, uh, I'm sticking with the six. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, then, what about the cleansing hour? The cleansing hour is an interesting little film. I don't think it's great, but it's good. Like it's like a it's a fun watch. This is another one where I feel like it's judge a book by its cover. But I think if your poster sucks, if your key photo sucks, and your description isn't grabbing me. I'm probably just going to pass on the movie, you know, and I wouldn't have watched this if I hadn't heard so many good things about it. I mean, I really actively hate the way the poster looks. And the one I clicked on it on shutter and it's got the one image. I was like, Nope, don't like that either. <laughs> this looks not fun, but it was fun. Um, basically what you have here is a online exorcist. Uh, it does the cleansing hour every week and he has you know five hundred thousand people tune in to watch him exercise someone and it turns out that it's not he's not really a priest he kind of is someone who was interested in being a priest but gave it up and he's you know a guy living in hollywood and they're shooting this web series in a abandoned warehouse you know and they've got a pretty nice setup i mean for a web series they've got actually a really nice setup but they're just shooting the show on a set and they bring in actors and they pretend to do exorcisms well one day a demon gets wind of what they're doing and decides to put the priest to a test and so they all get stuck in this warehouse on live streaming platform having to deal with a real demon for the first time and I thought it was cool. Kyle Gallner is in it, and he is fantastic. Um, I think yeah, I like him from Red State. That's how I am familiar with him, and I, man, I really liked him in this as well. Um, Ryan Guzman, I think, is the priest, and he is good too. And Alex Angelus, I believe, is her name. Uh, she is also really good. She is 
the young woman who gets possessed in the film. And those are the three main characters. And there are a lot of other characters who kind of come in and out at times, but these are the main people we're dealing with and they're good. And it was fun. It's disposable, I would say, but it's an enjoyable watch. If you just want to watch something that's fun, kind of scary, kind of funny, but it's, it's got a lot of energy. I would say the cleansing hour is a fun watch. I would give the cleansing hour a six out of 10 and say streaming on shutter. All right. Now for creep show holiday special. Man, I did not like that. Did you guys see that? I know I actually wanted to. And I thought, Oh, it's I, I honestly, I wish I had known it was on the list because I saw it when it came up on shutter. I was like, Oh yeah, I was going to try to get it in. I was like, well, technically you know, it's not a movie. So we're not going to cover it. And then I saw it was on the list. I was like, dang it. So you didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I, you know, it's just a one-off special. So um, it's, 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 I guess, part of the creep show series that Greg Nicotero made for shutter, but this is a, their Christmas special. It was okay. It, it was, I actually just dis, actively disliked it, but it, it's entertaining in a way that a lot of the creep show things are, you know, you're, my expectations are shifted when I'm watching a, a creep show installment. It, it's okay. That's a little silly. It's okay. It's a little campy. Um, but this, in my opinion was just over the line of enjoyable. So um, yeah, I, I know I, I saw a lot of our listeners really liked this one. I don't understand why, but <laughs> to each their own. <laughs> so I would give this one a five and say, skip it. So you like this one less than centigrade. Yes. Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. All right. So one that does not sound campy, the dark and the wicked. Okay. The dark and the wicked. Um, And this is playing on shutter. Also, this, this movie is streaming on shutter. It was written and directed by uh, Brian Bertino of, of course, the strangers uh, and, uh, and some other films uh, after that. But I think a lot of people uh, are big fans of the strangers, myself included. Uh, this movie, though, it's, I'll tell you what, it, it definitely earns its title. It's set on a, uh, a farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, the farmer is dying and he lives there with his wife. They're elderly. Uh, he's, he's really sick. He's just, he's just kind of, he's slowly dwindling away. Uh, so the daughter and son, played by Marin Ireland and Michael Abbott Jr., uh, decide to pay their parents a visit uh, to see if there's anything they can do to help. Well, far from being happy to see them, their mother, played by uh, Julie Oliver Touchstone, uh, says, you shouldn't have come here. Why did you come here? You, you, you know, we, we don't want you here. Well, they find out why. Uh, the more time they spend there, they realize that their father is not, maybe not so much dying as being tormented by this evil spirit, or he's dying and being tormented by this this evil entity and it's not just an entity that's bothering him that has attached itself it it pretty much attaches itself to everybody around it if this is a movie that it really kind of works on you um there are jump scares in it but i think the movie earns the jump scares there's one particular that's set um uh in a bathroom i don't want to give too much of it away uh that was very effective. But the, 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 I think the main thrust of it is that this is not, this is an evil that's random, that has just sort of settled 
on this family for no good reason. And it has sort it sort of envelops all of them. Uh, and it's it's one of those films where you don't always you can't always trust what you're seeing. Some obvious, sometimes it's not so obvious. It's a little more subtle. Uh, but there's just a, a a a mood of just this this mood of despair that settles over the film as you're watching it. Now, I, you go back to the movie like um, the Blair Witch Project from 1999, the classic. Remember how much you dreaded. As it approached nighttime, the later it got in the movie, when it started to get closer to night, you started to dread it because you knew something bad was going to happen at night. This movie doesn't quite match that same level of dread, but it comes close to it each time that it's getting darker. You're saying, boy, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen? You know, what are these two going to experience? I mean, um, the, the, the son and daughter just find themselves caught up in it. And at one point... I'm just going to say someone tries to escape and realizes you can't. It's almost as if the evil just attaches itself to whoever wanders into this house. Uh, it really is just, it, it is a very dark, dark film. And um, I was impressed by it. I really was. I was impressed by it. I would probably give this a uh, an 8.5, close to a 9. I, I'm going to go with a 9 out of 10. Wow. And I wow. say it's definitely worth seeing. Um, and if it becomes available, I, I think it might even be available. I think it might be available on Blu-ray and DVD, so I'm definitely going to be picking it up. Wow. Hmm. Awesome. Very, yeah, very cool. All right. So next up is The Deeper You Dig. So before you guys uh, go into an actual review of it, I did want to mention that we were sent a screener for the uh, Arrow Blu-ray for the DPU dig. And there's got a ton of extras. And I think we've talked about doing a collector's crypt sort of bonus episode down the road here in the not too distant future where we might uh, dig into that one. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, a little bit because uh, there's some really cool extras uh, about the family that made it. Uh, their backstory is fascinating to me. Uh, I mean, I haven't gotten a chance to watch this deeper you dig yet, but just watching some of the extras makes me super excited to see it just because I feel now so invested in them as filmmaker as this filmmaking family. Um, and so uh, it's, it's very cool. So I, I, not, yeah. I wanted to mention that before you guys went into the actual review. Honestly, I had, I know we had discussed that, but I forgot that we had discussed that. And I like went to go buy this Blu-ray, like as soon as I finished watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. The deep you dig. This one was a, uh, it was written and directed by uh, it's two of its stars, Toby Poser, I guess. Yes. And John Adams. Yep. Uh, they are husband and wife and it is a family film. I mean, it was a family uh, affair, I guess, for one of a better term. Co-directed by Zelda Adams, their daughter also. Right. Yeah. The playing, playing, playing the daughter of one of the characters in the movie. Um, I'll tell you what, there, there was so much about the deeper you dig that impressed me. Uh, and a, so much of it that worked that the portions that didn't work for me just made me a little more frustrated, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, the setup is there's a tragic accident uh, involving a 14 year old girl played by Zelda Adams. And what happens kind of blurs the line between life and death for both the girl's mother played by Toby Poser and uh, a lonely stranger uh, living alone in this, um, sort of abandoned house uh, where he's sort of he's rebuilding it um, and he's played by John Adams uh, again the writers and directors of it it gets off to a great start 
The, the characters are introduced perfectly. It's a wintry setting, which I know you probably love, Josh. And the event that sets the story in motion, all of it was handled perfectly. I really thought the beginning of this movie was tremendous. I also liked how it utilized sound at times, even when it was a bit of a distraction. And there's times when the sound is a bit of a distraction. And I thought that the cast did a good job. I really did. I mean, all of them, including uh, young Zelda Adams, they all, I thought, were strong. Uh, where it started to lose me was the way it approached uh, the supernatural elements, uh, some of which were intriguing. There's one in particular. The mother um, is a medium. And she gets an idea that, that something bad has happened before she even knows about it. Or, you know, and she never really knows what's happened uh, as the story is progressing. And um, she ends up going to a, to a former colleague and takes a journey into the seven circles. It had a few cool scenes, but I don't know it justified the subplot entirely. I thought it was a little bit out of place. Um, some of the uh, uh, supernatural elements just were disappointing. Uh, some of the spectral visitations, I just, I was just kind of, it took me out of the movie a little bit. Still, I would not discourage anyone from seeing this because there is a lot going on here. And even the moments that fell short were unique. So I think this is a movie that's going to generate a lot of conversation, to be honest with you. Um, it's going to have its detractors. It's going to have people who love it. And I think there will be people in the middle, too, because I'm kind of in the middle on it. Um, I think this is a movie that you're going to want to talk about after you see it. Um, and I, I'll leave it, give it to you, Josh, to get your, uh, your feeling on it. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Dave. I'm kind of in the middle. You know, I think this is going to be a very divisive film because there's the people who are just going to be rooting for the Adams so hard that they just love it no matter what. And then there are going to be the people who are like, well, that wasn't very good. And I think it's an easy film to take down. But at the same time, like this is a handmade family film. Like imagine making a movie with your family. It's probably not going to turn out this good. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. I mean, this is what I do for a living. There's no way I can make a movie with my wife and children that turn out as good as this. No way. Um, it does have, you know, you talked about some of its lower points, and I think those points to me felt a lot like when you're making a movie with your friends in high school and you don't really have a script, but you kind of know what you want to do and you're kind of mm -hmm. making things up as you go along and I think that was the biggest weakness for the film was just the screenplay. You know, like I don't feel like structurally it has the weight that it wants to have. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I understand what you're saying. Like a lot of those surrealistic scenes didn't totally work for me, but I didn't mind them. There were a couple I thought were awesome. Like there's oh, one, there's one way. Water. It, yes. Bread. That's the one I'm thinking of. That's my favorite. I thought that was, that was, that you're right. That's the best word for it. Awesome. That was an awesome scene. So cool. And also when she first is introduced to the idea of the seven rings, yes. I was like, Oh, mm -hmm. this is a great shot, like a really good shot. Mm -hmm. And I think what they smartly do is they utilize the natural production values of the place they live, these beautiful mountains in the Catskills, the beautiful homes they have access to. And they both look cool. Actually, all three of them do. All three of the leads, they've mm -hmm. got good looks, and they their looks work for the characters they're portraying also. Like, they don't just feel like, you know, I stuck my random husband in this scene. Like, no, he right. actually 
looks like this character he's playing would look, you know, I mean, yep. good casting in that sense. I don't think he is the strongest actor. Uh, none of them are the strongest actors, but I think the wife is the best actor. of the three mm-hmm. of them. I think the daughter's actually really good. Too. I did too. I thought so as well. Um, I think the husband is the, is the weakest of the three. And he has, I feel like he has the most on his shoulders. So I think that's not the best combination, but he's not bad. I think where it comes off as bad or like, unprofessional to me is when you've got scenes with like third parties with outsiders. Right. Mm-hmm. Because right. the mom, I feel like the mom can carry a scene mm-hmm. with a non-actor, but I didn't feel like the dad could carry the scenes with the non-actors, hmm. you know, like okay. the police, for instance, that are in the film, I, those were to me, were just like brutal. Well, yeah, yeah, um, definitely. But the mom with those characters that worked because I, I felt like she had enough, um, experience or she had enough yeah, experience to be able to kind of carry those scenes a little mm-hmm. bit, whereas I feel like the dad did. But again, I could do it and he's not right. a professional actor. He's a guy who was interested in making movies with his family and he did a great job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I, I really thought the movie opened strong. That first 10 to 15 minutes where it's all set up and the way that they, they shot those scenes and the snowy landscape and the, and the building of the characters, the sort of developing of the relationships and the first 15 minutes, I was impressed. I was, yeah. I was on board, you know, fully at that yeah. point. I just think they have, they have room for growth as filmmakers. Like I think when you're relying on, scenes that are taking place in a beautiful location and you've got nice camera equipment and you've got a person who looks good on camera and they are just doing an action and they don't have to interact with anyone. Mm-hmm. Like it, it looks great. I mean, it looks like it could be a professional film, but there doesn't, it doesn't look like a homemade movie at all. It looks like a super high quality, high budget budget movie in those moments. Yeah. yeah. But then I think it just starts to fall apart when you have to have, the more acting scenes there are, especially with people outside the family, I think it's just harder, you know? And I think yeah. to shoot a scene of people speaking is a lot different than, like, there are some scenes with the mom and the dad speaking to each other that I thought were fantastic also. Yeah. And again, I think all the scenes with the daughter are good. Um, but, like, there's some tarot scenes that are, like, in a kind of a more stylized setting right. with, like, kind of like a, like a interrogation light kind of lighting. Mm-hmm. Those look super cheap and just so bad to me, you know. And like those are the things that sucked me out of the movie too. And and I see what you're saying about the surrealistic scenes. There were some of those that feel a little film schooly, but yeah, I just by, didn't like the direction they went with them with some yeah. of them. But by and large, I mean, I was impressed that they pulled yeah. this off. I think mm-hmm. you know, apparently they've been making movies together for ten years as a family, and uh, this is kind of their highest profile film to date. I don't love the the cover art again, like I didn't suck me in the, the, the poster that's on IMDb letterboxd or shutter didn't really suck me in, but I'd just seen a lot of good reviews about it. I love their aero video artwork. I think that looks amazing. Um, but, uh, I think you, you should give this a try folks. I, I, I've seen, you know, some other people, a lot of our listeners are kind of right in the middle for the most part. Mm-hmm. Eric Yvonne on letterbox, his review says you can have your conjuring universe all over. I'll be over here digging deeper. So, uh, Eric <laughs> really liked this movie. He yeah. gave it, uh, uh, eight out of 10. Nice. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of more in the middle. 
I think I would give this one probably like a, a 5.5, but I, I really appreciate what it is. Again, I was ready to buy the Blu-ray after it because I just wanted to see how they did it. And, and I think if you give them a budget and uh, like a, you know, a couple more experienced actors to work into their family dynamic, I, I really think that this is an impressive family and I love that they did this project. It's awesome. Cool. I I, I think I don't know if I said, but I would be like six out of ten. Yeah, yeah, I'd I'm say, sure I, you got know. that. Okay. Yeah. Yep. All right. What about deer skin? Deer skin. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> this is an interesting movie. I, I've seen a few films in my life that made me want to buy clothes that the characters wore on screen. Like Back to the Future Two is the most notable for me although the clothes didn't actually exist at the time i saw the movie lost <laughs> boys i remember being like oh i want to dress like those guys those guys look cool <laughs> uh, i remember jude law's character in the talented mr ripley i was like okay like that's a look i can't pull that look off but i like that look that's, that, <laughs> that, that, that's good. it doesn't necessarily suit me but i'm into it and there's been a few films that made me want to just get one of those traditional you know ramon style black leather biker jackets but Never in my life have I seen a movie or anything that has made me want to drape myself in 100% deer skin. <laughs> Until now. Until now. <laughs> it's a killer look. It's a killer look. Yes. And, and this and- is from the director of Rubber. So mm-hmm. if you've seen Rubber, you, you kind of know what you're getting into. Um, it's Art House. Sorry, I didn't catch that. Try tapping above to edit. <laughs> Sorry, thought I was talking to her. <laughs> I what was I saying? Oh yeah, um, it's the director kind of, of Robert House absurdity, and I love it. I absolutely love it. And Rubber was one I didn't get around to for a long time because I thought it was going to be like a Full Moon Pictures kind of movie. But um, when I actually did see it, I was like, oh no, this is like a weirdly an art house film uh directed by quentin dupieux i don't know if that's the correct french pronunciation but um i like this guy i'm into what he's doing this film uh he ups his casting game he has jean dujardin who is the actor from the artist the academy mm-hmm. award winning the artist um you might have also seen him in like wolf of wall street and films like that but um i i it's weird I've never seen anything this weird. It's silly. It takes a long time to get going. I don't think there's any what you would call horror until the last like 20 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. But boy, what an interesting film. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say, Dave? I love it too. I really did. I, I and it's I, not to get. I'm, and this isn't really a spoiler. I mean, what happens is he gets this jacket. Um, you know, uh, Jean uh, Dujardin's character buys this jacket. We get the feeling with a lot of the money he has left, he's recently uh, divorced or separated from his significant other. He yeah. uh, doesn't have a lot of money, but he uses most of it to buy this jacket. He falls in love. The minute he sees this jacket, he falls in love with it to the point that the jacket almost seems to have a communication with him. And he decides... Not only does he love this jacket, he now wants to be the only person in the world who owns a jacket of any kind and sets out to 
rid the world of every other jacket but his. And to slowly build up his wardrobe so that he's wearing all deer skin, not just a yes. deer skin. At the same time, posing as a filmmaker at a bar, then becoming a filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, and basically what happens is this guy's relationship breaks up and he seemingly has like a nervous breakdown and goes to this small mountain village in France where he kind of just starts creating a new version of himself and the new version of himself is based solely and entirely on this deerskin jacket. Right. <laughs> but, but, you know, you're right. It's sort of building. And I was into it. I was into the movie as it was building, but it's not really, you know, like you said, the horror elements aren't, weren't really there until it got right towards the end of the movie. And then it sort of hits you in a big way. You just realize, and boy, this guy was quirky before. Now he's just batshit crazy. I mean, he's, he's crazier than I even thought as the movie was playing out initially. Um, but I love it. And he even finds sort of an accomplice, uh, an editor he hires to put together his 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 footage, the footage of the movie he's making. He hires this editor and turns the footage over to her. She goes, well, is there a script? He's like, well, not really. This is sort of, you know, just something we're doing. And yet she puts the she manages almost to create a movie for him. I don't think we should talk about the plot too much because there's so little plot in the movie. Yeah. Okay. All right. If you want to cut, if you want to cut that part out, no reason to watch it. No, if you want to cut, no, I'll tell you what, I think there's plenty of reason to watch it because of the way, no, no matter how we describe it, it's not going to take you to the, to the same sort of level of, of anar- anarchic insanity that you get in this film. Um, <laughs> I, very, I, very slow plotting pace, though. So when you see anarchic, anarchic absurdity, that doesn't happen again until probably the last 20 minutes. But. No, but what has happened before it builds to that. Yes. You know, as you're looking at the quirkiness, it builds to that sort of uh, insanity. The film is um, anarchy. It's just like a very staid version of anarchy, right? Yeah. There are no yeah. rules. There's nothing governing this, but it doesn't mean right. that it's chaos. Those are two different things, right? And then right. it eventually does reach chaos at the end. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It I want to totally um, just read this review from one of our listeners, Edward McKenzie on Letterboxd. He says, Quentin Dupieux's fascination with possessed inanimate objects continues with much more success in deer skin than rubber, mainly because the lead character is so hilariously loathsome. Great gore as well. And Edward gave it an 8 out of 10, and I would agree with that rating. I would give Deerskin an 8 out of 10. And if you like art house films and absurdity, then I would say this is a very high priority rental. If you don't like those things, it's probably an avoid. <laughs> but for me, I'll um, buy it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be picking this up as well. And. Um... Again, I'm going to go nine out of ten. I really, really loved this. When it was over, I almost wanted to just watch it again. It's one of those films that I think that I'm sort of sitting there with with my my mouth agape, watching it, thinking, "What the hell is going on here?" That the second viewing, I might be laughing hysterically through a lot of the movie. You know? I'm sorry. Could you say that again? It's uh, it's like the first time through, I almost wanted to watch it again because I was sitting there with, you know, with my mouth wide open, you know, just sort of my jaw hitting the floor, wondering what what the hell's what am I watching? What's happening here? I think a second viewing, I'd be laughing hysterically. 
through a lot of the film, especially, you know, once, once you get used to these characters beats and, and what he's doing and, and then it just becomes like, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I don't want to talk too much about it. Cause I want people to say it. Um, definitely check out deer skin. If you haven't already. Yeah, I just also want to add Adele Hanel. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her name right. Probably not. I she added a lot to the movie for me. I mean, I, I think her character, like to me, takes it to the yep. next level. When she kind of gets involved with everything that's going on, I was like, okay, this is very interesting. And that's right where it starts to get crazy because you don't get that from her character initially. You know, it seems much more grounded. I loved it. I did. I loved it. All right, now. To a movie whose title for some reason makes me laugh and i don't know why it's called get duped <laughs> yeah the whole movie made me laugh actually oh, okay. it was a really funny movie um it's ridiculous but it's a lot of fun it, this is more comedy than anything else it's about some kids who go on a hike for school um as kind of a punishment for misbehaving i don't know exactly how the schooling system works in scotland but basically these kids are doing what they call the duke of edinburgh award which is a trek that they have to take across the highlands and then they get some sort of uh, award when they're done and three of the boys are doing it because they were misbehaving at school and one of the boys was just into it because he is a nerd and their teacher from school brings them on this expedition and it's just a great kind of coming of age movie about some outcasts and they're very relatable in the sense that you know people like this like they're not really they're all just kind of super annoying but i can imagine people i knew from high school or whatever like as these types of characters again not exactly the same because i'm not from scotland but you know you get it, it they're archetypes and they're funny archetypes um of course as these young boys start trekking across the scottish highlands it turns out they're being hunted by a mysterious man with a rifle who looks surprisingly like the duke of edinburgh <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, it's kind of fun. Uh, the IMDb synopsis is an anarchic hip hop inspired comedy that follows four city boys on a wilderness trek as they try to escape a mysterious huntsman. And that's it. But it's just funny. It's just funny. I don't know why. It's weird because I don't love the characters, but they just grew on me so much. Um, especially the character I liked the least was this self styled rapper called DJ Beatroot. And I found him so annoying at the beginning of the movie. And by the midpoint, not only was he my favorite character, but I just loved the scenes around him were so good. I also don't typically like drug movies, but the drug scenes in this film were some of the funniest, coolest, like well-shot drug scenes I've ever seen. I love the way they handle the drug scenes. It's also just, I don't know, it just had so much energy in this film. That's what it really is. Mm. It's, it's exciting and it's funny. And I bought several songs from the soundtrack and I don't even listen to hip hop normally. I mean, that's it just was kind of infectious, the fun of this film. This seems like a movie that would have, if we were in the, or like the early mid nineties would have come out as like a, this little, you know, kind of like how train spotting kind of just came out of nowhere for Americans. And it was like, Oh, is this amazing movie? Like, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know nothing about this movie, but just like looking at some stills and stuff. And for what you've described, you know, the energy level and the infectiousness, it just feels like a movie that would have shown up 
in the United States in like the nineties and been like this huge yeah. indie kind of, you know, foreign film hit. Yeah. I'm way overselling it then. Oh, but, okay. <laughs> but it did remind me of train spotting during the middle. Now it's nothing like train spotting. It doesn't have all the craziness sure. of that film. Sure. Right. I mean, it's, it doesn't have a quarter of the artistry of Transpotting. And the script is much more thin. This feels like one part Hot Fuzz, one part Transpotting, two parts dumb generic comedy. Considering the original title was Boys in the Wood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. But it has, it has sparks of Edgar Wright. It has sparks of Danny Boyle. And so mm. some of that stuff kind of comes through. But it, it, it's not great, but it was just enjoyable. Okay. You know? um, I'll check that out. Yeah. That looks actually, I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued. Yeah. But, and yeah. it's very low on the horror. Again, the it, it is a humans being hunted conceit, but uh, there isn't anything super horrific that comes of that, you know? But so I would say it's very light on the horror. It's mainly a comedy, but I would give this one a six. I would call it a rental. I enjoyed it. All right. How about. Wolfman tells us about a good woman is hard to find. Ain't that the truth, brother? <laughs> I was trying to figure out a way to say it, like forget, work, work in that idea. But I was like, no matter how I say it, it's gonna seem kind of weird. Like I'm being weird and creepy. So. <laughs> um, this is a fun movie. A recently widowed young mother will go to any lengths to protect her children as she seeks the truth behind her husband's murder. So. I, I, fun isn't probably the right word. It's fun in the way that thrillers are fun, yes. but it's not, um, there's no happiness in this movie. There's no levity in this movie <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, this is, it's pretty good though. It's a good thriller. Like it, it, it basically you're find yourself with this woman who is alone, raising her two children. They're poor. They're struggling. Her, you find out then that her son hasn't been speaking because he witnessed his father being murdered and she's struggling with that emotionally. And then happening parallel to that in their neighborhood, a young criminal robs a huge amount of drugs from the local mafia, essentially, and runs into her, her home to hide. And that kind of sets in motion all of the action of the film from that point. And it's really good. Like the, you know, if we're talking genre classification, it definitely leans more toward the thriller side than the horror side, but there's horror and it's insanely gory. I mean, uh, is it? Yeah, I guess it is. I don't know. I, I, there, I saw a, a several films with people signed up body parts this week, and this one was the most disturbing of those <laughs> for sure. <laughs> wow. Um, so yeah, I would say Good Woman is hard to find is a, is a quality film. Um, it's not it didn't wow me, but I enjoyed it, and I would give this one probably a seven point five, and call it a rental. And I should say uh, a Good Woman is hard to find is streaming on Shutter. Oh, all right, very cool. Yeah, I'm gonna check that one out. Okay, so that leads us to Hunter Hunter. Okay, Hunter Hunter. Now we've talked a little bit about how we try to go in cold to some of these films and not watch the trailers. This is maybe an argument for find out a little bit about <laughs> some of these movies. <laughs> this is completely on me. This uh. is my fault. I just want to be clear up front because under any other circumstances, I should have loved this movie. 
I, I should have just walked into this movie and loved it. It was great. But I heard a tiny bit about it, but I didn't want to be spoiled, so I didn't watch a trailer. I didn't read the description. I kind of like, like I said, blurred my eyes and read like the start of the description. <laughs> and in my mind, I had decided. Now, this is not a spoiler for the film. This is a spoiler for what the film is not, and this is vital. This is not a werewolf movie. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, I thought this was a werewolf movie. Oh, wow. And so I was waiting for a werewolf for the entire runtime of the movie. Wow. Uh, the poster of the film has a wolf yeah. howling yes. and the shadow of yep. a man. I see it. You're right. You, In your defense, I would have thought werewolf movie potentially too. Yeah. And this is the description. Joseph and his family live in the remote wilderness as fur trappers, but their tranquility is threatened when they think they are being hunted by the return of a rogue wolf and Joseph leaves them behind to track it. So you have that. And then the key photo on shutter is not the father or anyone, in the family. It's a shot of Nick stall looking creepy. <laughs> so I was like, okay, this is a werewolf movie with Nick stall. <laughs> and it's not a werewolf movie with Nick stall. <laughs> so is this more like the, is this more like the edge or something? Yeah. Okay. It is something more like that. This okay. is a fantastic survival thriller, creepy guy. You know, it's like in the nineties, they would have made this in an apartment complex in San Francisco. This would have been Pacific Heights or yep. sliver yep. or something. But in this movie, they're doing it in the woods. Right. Oh, I'll, and, I will love this movie. I'm glad you just told me just that much. I'm, yeah. I'm going to love this movie. I just want to say, uh, I, I just want to put a fine point on this because it's important. <laughs> This movie had me on the hook the entire time. I was loving it. Then there were 12 minutes left. Then there were eight minutes left. Then there were five minutes left. And I was like, where's the werewolf in this movie? The last five minutes, this will have still been worth it because this was really cool. But I never- <laughs> wow. That's funny. It have to be. It's a great film in its own right. I was measured it by something it never claimed to be, but I was seriously let down and sad angry i was bummed out i was in a bad mood when i finished this movie which is my fault because it's a great survival thriller it's a fantastic film it's an eight out of ten <laughs> if it had been a werewolf movie it would have been a 10 out of 10 <laughs> best werewolf movie in a decade maybe in three decades but it's only like uh, an above average survival horror film. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I get you. I get you. Yes. All they had to do was make an allusion to the fact that that was not a full wolf. That was a werewolf. And this would have been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. It's good. Okay, okay it's cool. Good well, I'm actually, I would have probably not even noticed it because I don't know something about even just the title. I, it just sounded, I don't know. It didn't even cross my radar. I was like, oh, okay. And then, yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm really glad and, you. And I should also mention like, Nick Stahl, he's an interesting guy. Like he, at one point, he was kind of supposed to be like this hot young yeah. back in actor, the day. Like in the, the bed was in the bedroom. Was that the really great yeah. film he was in? Yeah. And then he made this flip where he started playing creepy characters, and he kind of never went back. Like he was he was the yellow bastard in the Sin City movies, and he was in the in the uh, Green Lantern movie. He's a really ugly character. And it's just weird. It's weird that a guy who went from being kind of like a pretty boy went to being kind of like this gross. Right. And then also Devin saw was in this who I don't like, like I, I, I like him now as a person, like I've kind of been following 
the latter part of his career, and I've been impressed with how he's changed and matured and stuff. But like, I, I liked the Final Destination, but he was my least favorite part of it. I liked um, what is the Idle, Idle, Idle Hands? Hands. Idle Hands. Yeah, but he was my least favorite part of it. And I love SLC Punk, and I think he ruined it. And so, like, I just he's just been an actor who I never had loved. And then recently, I've been kind of watching some of his stuff. I'm like, oh, he's he's interesting now as an adult. Like, I actually like. Who's becoming and in this movie? I loved him in this hmm. movie. Like, I, nice. I, yeah, he was fantastic. In this movie, I would watch a series about his character in wow. this movie. Oh, like, very cool. I'm really. I'm actually. I'm, I might. I might put this one on, the, on like the bump it to the top list just because this is. I can totally see my wife and I. Like she, this is the kind of movie she digs too. So I'll have to. Yeah, and I probably oversold it, Joel, because I know how your expectations are. <laughs> you know, you get. <laughs> You get excited and then you're let down. I'm too. like, come on, man! I, it's like I, it's like this weird, like contrarian side of me that just like, oh, you thought everybody liked it, so you can't like it. Yeah, you're gonna be cool and rebellious and be against everything. So if you tell me it's great, I'm gonna go and be like, it was. Uh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> eh. I hope yeah. not. I hope not. No, no, it's good. It, it, it was. It's it's weird because it's a slow burn, but I it was over before I knew it. Like it's okay. weird because like the actual action of the film, it kind of moves slowly, but I was so invested in it. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh wow, this is almost over. Like this is crazy. You know, like I, yeah. I that like, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Very cool. So, Very cool. All right, so the next one on our list is one that proving that you should really pay attention to what you're reading and not just skim things, because I swear I thought it said Medea Returns. I'm like, did I miss something? <laughs> All right, so Medea Returns. So Mandeo Returns is the sequel to Mandeo of the Dead, which was the film that won our Handmade Horror Award at the Horror Cinema Awards last time we did it uh, in 2018 or 2019. 2019, yes. <laughs> um, we did skip a year. I did want to mention that because the the uh, pandemic put us out. I, I don't know how you guys feel about it. I would actually like to do two in a row and just because why not? Um, it would just be a fun thing to do, I think. But uh, we'd have to change the way we did it a little bit this year if we were to do it again. But I, this is something I want to continue doing and and I really love doing. And um, this is a movie is a good example of why, because there are a lot of films that are never going to win you know, best horror film of the year or never going to make it on my top 10 list, but deserve to be seen, deserve recognition. This is just a fascinating film. I, I love these guys. I'm going to refer to my letterboxed review of this film. Had I known this was a Christmas movie, I would have pushed to get this on our Christmas episode. I didn't realize that. And Scott Dunn, who we've had a tiny bit of interaction with, due to our praising of uh, Mandeo of the Dead, mentioned, um, hey, I've got the sequel coming out. If you guys you know, would cover it, that'd be great. And I said, yeah, I'd love to even have you on the show and, and talk to you. I would love to have this guy, Scotty Dunn, and also the Adams family on the show just to talk about like oh, yeah. making these no-budget indie films because they do it so well. Um but anyway, but I said, yeah, sure, we'll do it like in February or something. And then I, I actually watched it. I was like, oh, it was a Christmas movie. Oh, that's probably why he was asking when he asked. <laughs> but um, no, I absolutely love Scott Dunn and the Mandeo crew. Nobody in my mind, maybe other than the Adams family, embodies the indie film spirit more than this group of people. Nobody's making no budget features at this level of quality. A few people are making them this aggressively original at all. I, I love... Um, 
this world that they've created, this universe. The downside, I would say, is that the Christmas ambiance suffers from its budget and from being set in Los Angeles, just as the Halloween ambiance suffered for those same two reasons. But I appreciate the effort, and that's kind of my takeaway from this entire film, is I appreciate the effort. I love what these guys are doing, and they have reinvigorated my love for independent cinema in a way that, honestly, nobody since the Tarantino, Rodriguez, Smith class of filmmakers in the early 90s has. I just, they make me excited to get out there and just, like, do no-budget movies with my friends. It's it's just cool what they're doing, and they're doing it at a really high level. Um, it's not going to be for everybody. There, Like I said, there's a handmade quality to it, but it looks great. Um, all the production elements feel tight, and they're tighter than they were the first time around. So if you liked Mando of the Dead, you're going to like this more, I'm guessing. I did. I thought it was tighter from a script point of view, but all the other technical aspects as well. I would give this one a 7.5 out of 10, and I would call it a high-priority rental. It is streaming for free on Amazon Prime, and I will buy this on Blu-ray. We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you a word from our sponsor. And that is AMC Network's holding Shudder. Shudder is the streaming service with the best selection of horror, thriller, and supernatural movies, series, and originals. From Hollywood favorites and cult classics to original series and critically acclaimed new genre films you won't find anywhere else. Streaming uncut and commercial free right to your favorite devices. You can stream Shudder for just $5.99 per month or $56.99 per year. And you can extend your regular 7-day trial to a 30-day free trial with our promo code HMP. No strings attached. Shudder has the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment on the planet. That's why they call it the Netflix for Horror. You'll have unlimited access to stream ad-free on all your favorite devices, including Apple devices, Android devices, Xbox, Amazon Fire, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. So much great stuff came out this last month, including a discovery of Witches Season 2, The Walking Dead, World Beyond, the entire series, and new films that have been getting a lot of buzz like Hunted and The Queen of Black Magic, so many of the films that we're discussing on this episode are streaming on Shudder, including Anything for Jackson, Blood and Flesh, The Real Life and Ghastly Death of Al Adamson, Castle Freak, The Cleansing Hour, Creep Show, The Dark and the Wicked, The Deeper You Dig, A Good Woman is Hard to Find, The Pale Door, Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, Spiral, Yummy, VFW, and The Mortuary Collection. They're all available on Shudder and streaming now. To try Shutter free for 30 days, go to Shutter.com and use the promo code HMP. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and the promo code HMP. Costs you nothing, helps us out a lot. Frankly, you're doing yourself a favor. There's a lot of great movies that are only available on Shutter. All right. So next up is Metamorphosis, and I'm assuming... Dave, that this is not the sci-fi horror classic from 1990 directed by George Eastman. No. No, it's not. No. This is a 2020 uh, South Korean movie. And I was, you know, I think South Korea has been turning out 
in the 21st century, they've just been knocking it out of the park yeah. uh, it, with genre films. I mean, you got Thirst with the, with the vampires, uh, Train to Busan, uh, The Wailing, which I know, Josh, you're a big fan of, but I am too. I love The Wailing, The Host, um, even the All best picture. too. Like, yeah. The, 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 Boy the, and Mother and Memories of Murder are some of the best thrillers ever made. Yep. And yeah, exactly. And uh, Bedeviled. So many great movies. Um, and this one is about, uh, this is an exorcism film and I was really excited to see it. I, you know, I, I, whenever I see South Korea, I kind of, I kind of, I get jazzed. I'm like, wow, I can't wait to see that film. Um, this time it was a little bit more mixed though. Unfortunately, the, the story is, um, there's a, a priest, father, uh, Jung Soo. Uh, he has a botched exorcism that results in the tragic death of a teenage girl. So he decides he's going to hang up his crucifix. He's going to leave the priesthood. But before he does that, um, he receives a frantic call from his older brother, uh, whose family is being terrorized by what he believes to be a malevolent spirit. Um, and the whole thing is, will uh, Jung Su decide to, um, you know, pick up his uh, pick up his Bible again and get back to work and, and save his family, or is he afraid that he'll do more harm than good if he does so? Uh, I think that the strength of this movie lies in that family. And, uh, you know, we get to we get to um, not only meet, um, you know, uh, uh, the priest's brother, but his wife and their three children. They've just moved into this house. And it turns out that they've moved into um, a house that's next door to uh, to a, a certain type of evil um, that uh, eventually makes its way into the family. It's interesting in that this is not so much possession of um you know, the, the demon doesn't just possess a single person as much as it. I mean, it does, but it can also take the form of other members of the family. Whichever one is not in the room, it can take that form. And it leads to some very interesting scenes, I think. And you do care about this family, almost at the level. I kept thinking of Poltergeist, you know, from the, the classic Poltergeist, where they were able to build up that, you know, it's not so much that what's happening is bad, that, but that it's happening to this family that you really do like. Uh, and I get that same, you know, I have that same feeling with uh, with the family in Metamorphosis, where the film I thought had its issues was when it should have been at its strongest. And that was in the possession scenes, in the scenes where the priest is facing off against the demon. Those felt very standard, very routine. And there was really nothing special about them. Whereas the rest of the movie had that special quality, those scenes didn't. And that's a letdown because that's where a lot of the horror truly uh, truly was. There are twists in the film you don't see coming. Certain things that happen, there, there are some dark elements to it, some very dark elements to it. Um, I think uh, even with its issues, I think it's, it, it's something that uh, is worth seeing. I'd give it a 6.5 out of 10, and I think it's a rental, and it is streaming on uh, Shudder. All right. How about Monstrum? We're going to stay in South Korea. This is another South Korean film, and this one is a creature feature, but it's not just a creature feature. This, uh, it takes place in the 16th century. And it is about a king 
who uh, feels that his uh, closest advisor is plotting against him. And what he's done is he's generated, um, what the king believes is he's generated this um, myth about a monster to try to scare the locals into turning against the king, scare the villagers into turning against the king. So the king goes to a uh, an old uh, trusted ally who actually had turned, um, they had a falling out maybe a decade earlier, uh, a warrior for the king, who had um, left his service and him and his, um, uh, I guess his uh, assistant or his partner, they had just sort of left his service. They've adopted this young girl and they're living as these sort of um, hunters and uh, just these mountain people, almost like derelicts when you first see them. You'd, nothing about them would scream that they're these mighty warriors. Well, the king decides to, to try to appeal to him to come in and help and try to prove that this monster does not exist to, um, uh, I guess, uh, ease the fears of the villagers and uh, solidify his position as king. But there's a chance that the creature really does exist. And let's just, you know, that, that's where there is a, it is a creature feature in a way. Um, it's a fun movie. There's comedy in it. Uh, there is action. There's martial arts. I loved the setting, the 16th century setting, and I thought that was well realized. And when it gets time to deal with the monster, it's CGI. It's not perfect cgi but it's pretty damn good cgi it's not it doesn't call its attention to itself like bad cgi does um i was a fan of this movie i thought it was a lot of fun i would give it an eight out of ten and again this is another one that is streaming on shutter i would say um definitely worth uh, worth your time especially if you like creature features that are just that are just a lot of fun to watch all right now we must find out what is Behind the Pale Door. <laughs> uh, the Pale Door is a horror western, and it is directed by Aaron B. Koontz, who is the producer of such uh, fantastic horror films as Sacrament and Starry Eyes. Um, and he is the director of a few things. He's done um, Crypt TV's Bishop Takes Queen short. Um, and he did a segment for Scare Package earlier this year. Um, I, I was not a huge fan of The Pale Door. I really wanted to like it. It's got a mostly fantastic cast. Uh, the short synopsis is, after train robbery goes bad, two brothers leading a gang of outlaws must survive the night. And I'm going to stop there because I don't want to give away too much of the twist, although I suppose we're going to um, as we talk about it, because the film that this gets described as most, as I've seen some of our listeners and other people on mine describe it, is From Dust Till Dawn. Hmm. Um, yeah. Taking a yeah. step back, yeah, it does, like, on paper, uh, have kind of like the same plot as From Dust Till Dawn, but in practicality, the film that reminds me of the most is Witching and Bitching, which I love that movie. I would say this is a lesser version of that film. Um, but the cast is so good. Zachary Knighton, I absolutely love. Uh, Stan Shaw, Noah Segan, Pat Healy. Um, so it's got this really good cast. I do think, and I don't like to pick on young people, uh, but, you know, he's been successful, is Devin Druid. Uh, he plays the younger brother. I thought he was terrible, and I just really disliked him in his role. I, I, I don't know. I, I thought he was the biggest attractor for the first half of the film. 
Um, but then <clears throat> I just felt it kind of fell apart toward the end. I think, you know, it, it seemed like they ran out of budget halfway through the movie because it started out, it's not the highest production values, but, you know, you can tell it's a low-budget movie, but it still looks pretty good. But by the end, they were just kind of like, there's a whole scene where they're supposed to be kind of like lost in a labyrinth-like uh, world, and all it is is shooting from low angle up at them with like the night sky and some trees, and you don't you have any sense of the geography or like how they're being lost, and it just I don't know, it just it's sad, but it just felt like a, a budget issue mainly. But I, I love the world, I love westerns, I love witches, I love the idea of combining horror and and westerns, but um, this one just didn't work for me. How about you, Dave? I'm right there with you, and and I love westerns. Westerns are my second favorite genre, uh, and I thought that this one, I liked the western scenes a little bit more than I liked uh, some of the horror scenes in it. Yeah. And usually, I love that combination. Like uh, I love the Burrowers. I really love that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Bone Tomahawk is another one that I really loved. Uh, but this one, yeah, it's it's that. It, and From Dust Till Dawn's a great comparison. But as the movie progresses, you're you're thinking, okay, well, they, 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 are they going to escape from this? And they have no, you think they have no chance of escaping. And then you're right, they're lost in these in this in this forest, and they're separated. And then all of a sudden, the characters are together again. Then all of a sudden, they're not lost, and they're back. And it just seemed as if it was very, it was just very scattered. And you're right, maybe it was a budget issue, and and. Ultimately, it visually conveyed that better than maybe that would have worked, but it's not visually conveyed in any way. It's just kind of like a cut. (laughs) It is. It's just it's it's just a cut, and then like like all of a sudden these characters are separated, and you think one is lost in this in in, in, like you're saying in this labyrinth that is unescapable. They're never going to get out of there. Oh, but here are the other characters. Oh, and if you go this way, now you're back in the town. I don't know. I, I just, it didn't work for me as it got along. And it's a shame because I actually liked the look of the creatures too. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, I did not like the look of the creatures. Oh, I did. I thought it was good. I, and that that's another thing I think it harkens to from Dust Till Dawn. You know, I think they definitely maybe lifted uh, the look a little bit out of that movie. Um, I liked it. And no, but ultimately I think it, it just... Uh, it just didn't work for me. And it, it, it was better at the beginning and it just sort of drifted away at the end there. And it's a shame. Yeah. I love Melora Walters. She's often, she makes w- interesting choices, like kind of out of the box choices yeah. a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And she's a little, she has a couple of weird choices in this movie, but generally I love her and I liked her in this mostly. Um, I love Stan Shaw. And of course, like, you know, Pat Healy and Noah Sagan are kind of like, cool indie well uh, and stan shaw is 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 obviously what monster squad he had the he had a role in monster squad but Harlem Knights, yep and he was excellent in a um in the 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 1978 vietnam movie that was not nominated for an academy award the boys of company c he was the strength he was gave the best performance in that movie as well he's a great actor he really is and he was good in this one i thought he was really strong in this one as well yeah, he was great. He was, I think he was maybe the best part of this movie, actually. But um, I don't know. Yeah, the performances couldn't overcome just kind of the... It's it's almost like it just got kind of lazy at the end. And, and, yeah. and uh, you know, it, it, it sort of lost its way. Um, it, it, obviously worse than the characters lost their way in that labyrinth. Um, <laughs> and it just never really recovered. Yeah, I would give this one a 5 out of 10, and I'd call it... 
uh, probably an avoid, but I, I, I could say I could go with a low priority rental if you're just interested in the cast and you love the idea of a Western horror, then you can watch it. But I, I'd say 5.5, and I'll say low priority at any time of the year except now if you're trying to put together your list. Yes. If you're trying to put together your list, it's an avoid. That's a, a couple months from now, if you have time, check it out, but don't, it's not something you want to squeeze in uh, for yeah. the end of year list. Absolutely not. It's unnecessary to watch right now. Despite it having the best poster art on Shutter. It's really cool poster art. That's what got me excited. I was like, whoa, this is going to be great. I can't wait to see this. And then um, my co-host, Bill Van Vagel, had seen it, and he said he sort of tempered my expectations. But I'm like, no, I want to see it anyway. I'm a Westerns guy, and it this looks like it's going to be really cool. And nope, um, he, he definitely nailed it. <laughs> All right, so next up is The Phenomenon. Okay, before I get into my review of Phenomenon or The Phenomenon, I just want to ask you guys, and I'll start with Joel. Yes. Have you been following over the last year? There's been a lot going on in the world. Have what? you been following the Pentagon's release of information about UFOs? Oh, hell yes, I have. The Tic Tac thing? Oh my God, yes. It's, yes. Yep. Okay. Big and time. Go fast and all that. Okay. Now, so do you believe in aliens? Is my is my follow up question. <laughs> yes, I do. Okay. Like I won't even I won't even do the heads. Well, you know, Josh, you did. Nah. Yeah, I totally do. Okay. Then watch the phenomenon. That's my. That's okay. My- <laughs> all right. Because I, I haven't seen. It. I I will add. Well, although when I saw phenomenon, I was like, is this the John Travolta movie? Is this the? <laughs> yeah, no, it's not that. It's okay. Not good. That. Good. Good. What about you, Dave? Have you followed like all of these releases about? Um, Air Force footage and Navy footage and all this stuff. I have not followed it. I've I've been on the fringe of it. I've heard of it. But to answer your second question, yes, I do believe in aliens. I just I don't see how it's possible that we could be the only uh, life form in uh, in the universe. No universe. <laughs> the the yeah, known the whole universe. universe. Yeah. And I have no problem believing that there are cultures way advanced um, that have been around a lot longer than we have. And um, yeah, I do believe uh, in uh, in aliens, um, and but I have not been following it, but I do believe. So I would say um, I was probably on the more skeptical side. I, I'm kind of where you are, Dave, in the sense that um, you know I I don't think we're alone in the universe necessarily. It's just statistically unlikely, I will say, right. and I don't think that you know man or humankind is the end all be all to civilization. But I was probably more skeptical. You know, I'm not a huge sci-fi guy, as I've mentioned before. I'm just not that into it. And whether or not I really thought there were little green men or or gray men running around, I would have probably said, "Ah, who knows? Probably not. I would guess not. (laughs) But I have been so turned around, in my opinion, by the release of all of this classified information from the Air Force, the Navy, via the Pentagon, and all of these documentary filmmakers who have been investigating this stuff for generations. And the phenomenon, although not the best documentary in terms of being like exciting and fun, is the most authoritative documentary um, from the most authoritative firsthand witnesses of otherworldly contact we've had with regard to the government handling information. Um, This has interviews with Air Force and Navy pilots, police, scientists, investigative reporters, intelligence agents, military officers, governors, senators, and American presidents. And it's not just like kooks out, you know, in the, in the woods. This is uh, not just, you know, these guys on a, a logging site in Snowflake, Arizona. These are, 
you know, the former majority leader, Harry Reid, talking about this stuff. This is quotes from guys from Gerald Ford to Ronald Reagan to Bill Clinton talking about this stuff. Wow. I mean, it's crazy what is out there. And um, I don't know, it's just fascinating. And uh, I would highly recommend this documentary to anyone who wants to actually take a reasoned look at Okay, maybe you don't believe in aliens. Maybe you think it's all bunk. Maybe you don't believe all the conspiracy theorists. I was there with you. Do you want to see a a dry, which is, I think, maybe what is precisely needed for a film like this, a dry presentation of the best evidence we have of having contact with extraterrestrial life? Is that's what this documentary is. Um, I wish they had included because unfortunately this movie came out this year and so it didn't include all the stuff that came out this year. So it will require a little extra um, effort on your part if you want to be completely up to date. But this has everything up to like 2019 with regard to that. I, w- I really, really wish that it just saved the release and included all of this year's stuff because this year's stuff huh. has been crazy. Right. But good. Good documentary, the most credible film ever made on this topic. Wow, that's something. Yeah, it's dry. It's kind of boring. It's not like an exciting film, but that's kind of what's cool about it is that it's just a very it's just sort of presenting it. It's straightforward presenting, yeah. handling of this information that is out there, and just this guy. I feel like this should be a series. I feel like, as good as it is, I feel like if it had been three or four parts, they could have done a a more thorough job, but it's still, it's really good. That sounds great. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Okay. So I would give the phenomenon nine out of 10 and I would call it a high priority rental. It's on Amazon. I actually bought it because it was like, I don't know, whatever the price point was, I just decided to go ahead and buy it. But Awesome. All right. And let's go ahead and uh, get to possessor. All right. Well, possessor, uh, written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg, son of uh, David Cronenberg. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, uh, this is a very promising. Uh, let's just say that that he would do his father proud uh, with this film. OK, just to, to set it up. Uh, and I'm going to use the IMDb synopsis here. Uh, it follows an agent who works for a secretive organization that uses brain implant technology to inhabit other people's bodies, ultimately driving them to commit assassinations for high-paying clients. Uh, it stars Andrea Riseborough as Tasha Voss. She's uh, probably the most effective agent in this organization. Uh, her handler, her boss, is uh, played by Jennifer Jason Lee. And it opens up with her inhabiting the body of uh, Holly, uh, an African-American woman played by Gabriel Graham. And what's interesting is that you get the performances in this film. I think Andrea Riseborough does an amazing job as Tasha Voss, as this agent. Uh, but she also inhabits two different people in this. As I said, uh, uh, Gabrielle Graham at the beginning uh, is his Holly. And then she in- eventually inhabits Colin Tate. Uh, Christopher Abbott is the boyfriend of um, of a, uh, well, this woman, uh, her father, Sean Bean's character plays John Parse. And he owns this multi-billion dollar, um, I guess, multimedia organization um, or research into 
multimedia. They, they, they basically research products, but do so by infiltrating people's cameras on their laptops, on their phones, and looking what's in the background, the different curtains, the different um, tables and whatnot. And okay, here's what people own. Here's what they're doing. And um, so, you know, it's, it's not a very reputable company. If you think about it, what they're doing, they're invading privacy to get this information, but you could see it being a real organization. Well, the whole idea is um, Tasha Voss's company is hired by the sun who wants to basically take over the company. And by the only way he's going to do that is by taking out the father and his sister. Um, so by to do that, they uh, uh, Tasha Voss is going to infiltrate the body of Colin Tate, the boyfriend of, um, of the daughter, uh, Ava, played by uh, Tuppence Middleton. What I like about the movie is that it has this technology. It has this amazing technology, but it's using it not in a way, you know, like you get Star Trek where this technology is used for the betterment of man. No, in this one, it's straight up profit um, and and used for um, more nefarious reasons. Um, the real interesting part of this, though, is the character of Andrea Riseborough, who plays Tasha Voss, the main um, the, the, the main uh, possessor if you will. She's really good at her job. She's the star. However, she has one little thing that's keeping her from, I guess, um, achieving another level in the company. And that's the fact that she's married and has a child. This is not a job that you want to have emotional connections to. And they talk of their scenes between um, her character and Jennifer Jason Lee, where they talk about, um, that that the husband and the son, um, Michael Voss, is played by Rossif Sutherland, and uh, they have a young son, that their lives are in danger because of her profession. But they're not just in danger from outside um, uh, sources or, or outside, uh, I guess, conflicts as much as they might be in danger from Tasha Voss because having that emotional connection can play with her mind. It doesn't allow her to commit fully to her job, you know, that, that she has these other people. And there's a really cool scene where when she's setting up, she's going to, um, you know, uh, be implanted into Colin Tate's, uh, his character played, um, uh, well, the character of Colin Tate played by Christopher Abbott. And she's watching them. She's, she's sort of spying on them. She has a, uh, this, uh, these binoculars and, and she has, she's getting the audio from, uh, as, as, Colin Tate's interacting with the girlfriend and she's practicing the things he says in the manner he says them. Well, that's juxtaposed when she's going to visit her family, you know, after she does the jump from, um, uh, the, um, uh, from her first mission that she's going to visit her family who she left, you know, she's sort of separated from her husband, but she's standing outside practicing what she's going to say and how she's going to say it, practicing normal conversation as if it's just something that's foreign to her because of her job. You know, you get the feeling that she really should have never gotten married. She should have never had this child. And that's what um, her handler is telling her. So there's this conflict going and it's messing with her mind to the point that one of the things she has to do when she's ending her connection she has to kill the she has to kill the person she's inhabiting so that they can pull her out. But there's something in her mind that she just can't do that. She can't get to that point of 
ending things and it causes a lot of conflict within the film uh, with her it, ca it causes a lot of, of problems and it causes um, the conflict that sort of drives the story this is just an amazing movie. It really is. I mean, I loved it from start to finish. I loved the science fiction aspect of it. Uh, I loved the performances because, you know, you have Andrea Riseborough playing Tasha Voss, and then you have Christopher Abbott playing his character inhabited by Tasha Voss, which is interesting because the girlfriend can sort of sense the slight differences. As well as Tasha Voss does her job, there's no way she can be absolutely perfect and be this person down to a T at every single moment of the day and the girlfriend starts to realize there's something different. But that kind of plays into what the company is looking for, you know, to sort of explain that if anything happens that, um, yeah, he was a little bit different. He wasn't quite himself in the last few days. And um, it's all about assassinations. It's all about that, that this guy is now going to kill these people. But it really is just such an interesting take on the whole thing and the way that that it's handled by the performances and the way that it's handled by Brandon Cronenberg. For me, it was one of the highlights of 2020 so far. I have more to see, but this is I can't see this one not making my top 10. Let's put it that way. I don't know where it's going to land ultimately, because like I, I have a, a lot more movies to see. But I loved Possessor, and I recommend it wholeheartedly. I'm almost at a 9.5 for this film and say get out there and see it. And I can see you watching it multiple times just to pick up the nuances of, of what's going on. I was going to skip this movie based on just the poster art, honestly. So uh, I was glad that a lot of people had told me it was good that at least got it onto my list, but you just mm -hmm. bumped it up to the top of my list. This will be the next movie I watch for sure. Awesome. I, uh, I'm, I'm real anxious to hear your take. On I didn't know about the Cronenberg connection. That would have, that would have bumped it up as well, but yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely, definitely uh, one of the ones to put on your radar for 2020. I'm really excited to see Possessor now, Dave, and I'm actually super excited about your next one relic as well. That's one I've been meaning to get to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Relic, it's um, uh, written and directed by uh, Natalie Erica James. Uh, well, she co-wrote it, uh, but she directed it, and it was her directorial uh, feature directorial debut. She had done some short films prior to this. And uh, the basic setup is um, we learn at the beginning there's a, a character, Edna, played by Robin Nevin. She lives alone, and something's wrong something's happening to her mind well she suddenly um disappears nobody can find her nobody sees her for a few days so they call up her daughter Kay, played by emily mortimer and Kay brings her daughter sam played by bella uh, heathcote out to check the house well they go into the house they can't find edna anywhere so they get in touch with the police. They begin searching the nearby woods. Nobody knows what's happened to her. They interview the neighbors. And then neighbors are like, no, nah, she's been sort of, you know, uh, withdrawn in recent uh, months. And even Kay says, yeah, it's been a few weeks since I've talked to her. Well, Edna turns up. Just one day she's in the kitchen. And so Kay's like, well, where you've been? You know, and it's, it starts to, they start to wonder, there's something a little different about Edna. Maybe she's starting to lose her mind. Maybe it's dementia. They're not quite sure. 
Kay thinks about maybe putting her in a home. Sam can't imagine that. Sam um, has a great relationship with her grandmother, whereas the relationship between Edna and Kay is a little bit strained, but the relationship between Kay and Sam is a little bit strained. Um, so there's this whole thing going on that uh, is Edna losing her mind. And there, there, you know, Sam says, you know what, I'll stay here in the house with her. I'll stay in the house with Edna or I'll stay in the house with grandma. I'll, I'll stay here with her. I, I'll move in and I'll, and, and Kay's like, are you sure you've got your life ahead of you? Do you really want to do that? And, but then Edna and Sam, their relationship starts to go south a little bit as Edna's mind starts to slip as these things. And, and there are hints that something otherworldly is going on here something supernatural because there are um references made to Kay's uh either grandfather or great-grandfather who died alone in a cabin um and was not treated well uh and maybe that's coming back because um edna you know that cabin that used to sit on the grounds of of the house you know where where the house is now they she's taken some of the objects from that like a, a window and has put that in the front door but there are there's you know there's these there's even even Kay starts to experience and Sam starts to experience this this sort of maybe supernatural, um, maybe not entity, but something supernatural going on. And it's maybe not just Edna losing her mind. The basic thrust of this film is caring for the elderly and not so much doing so out of... Um, a feeling of obligation. I mean, there's a point in the movie where someone says, isn't that, you know, Sam says to Kay, isn't that the way it is? Your mother changes your diapers and then you change your mother's diapers. Um, but it's not doing it out of a sense of duty as it is out of a sense of love. Because if you're doing it out of a sense of like, you're supposed to do this, there's resentment there. And you see that building a little bit between Kay and Edna. But, uh, you know, that's really what the movie's about. But what I was really impressed with was the way that it's pieced together. Now, we've talked a lot about slow burns. There's been a lot of slow burns in horror in recent years. Some of the best films have been slow burns. This one fits in that category, but the way that Natalie Erica James shoots it, it keeps the tension high, and it's the conflict between the characters, but it's also the way it's presented. There is a dark tone hanging over this film that you get from start to finish that when something otherworldly happens it just seems like a natural progression and then the house itself becomes a character in the film like that there's there's something going on there there's there's a, a scene with this down syndrome neighbor um who had been coming over and um edna had a uh, sort of a strong relationship with this person they were friends and then something happens in the house that um the father of this boy says no you can't go over there for a while and then edna gets resentful um so sam starts to research and say what happened well it ended up that this boy was locked in a closet for several hours and was scratching at the door so sam goes into this closet to, to see if there's proof of this that 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 that's what happened to this character and then gets drawn deeper into the house i don't want to say anything more than that it really is a movie about how we treat our older relatives is what the the the, the you know the theme of the film is and where it goes in the last part is where the horror really takes hold, but yet it's also where the story gets even, you know, it, it sort of is, starts making its point. Um, great performances by all three of the leads. And this is Australian. It's an Australian film, and I think it's set in Australia. Um, 
but I was really, really impressed with the way that the director put this film together, took this slow burn and gave it a tone that just had you on edge throughout the entire movie. Even when not a lot is happening, you're still thinking, yeah, this is just not, you know, th- th- this is, there's something, there's something off here. There's something that's just not quite right about this world. And it kept me in tune with it. I absolutely, I loved Relic, and I'm going to strongly recommend that people check it out. Awesome, dude. Yeah, man. I, uh, that's so funny, because when you were telling who the writer-director was, I was like, wait, what? I thought this whole time, I thought this was Jeffrey Reddick's new film. And then I was like, wait, what? This isn't Jeffrey Reddick? And then I thought maybe you had the wrong film. And I was like, wait, that can't be true. And then I was looking at Anyway, Jeffrey Reddick has a film this year called Don't Look Back. So okay. I'll have to watch that one as well, because I thought I was going to be watching his when I watched this one. But um, interesting. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting topic. It's one that I'm dealing with currently. So I'm really curious to watch that. I've been also thinking a lot about, during my current situation, um, the Stephen King Mercy film that um, oh, right. our friend Matt wrote. Um, he was saying he, the movie didn't turn out the way he had hoped, but he was saying it was kind of based around his final days taking care of his grandma and how like difficult and heartbreaking that was for him. But right, yeah, interesting. I want to watch uh, Relic. I rec- I definitely recommend it. All right, and another documentary on our list, Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay, Uh, uh, full disclosure, I have not watched this in several months, so this is all coming from deep within my brain pan. I can definitely tell you I liked it, but I will give you the IMDb breakdown uh, for for anybody who's a Nightmare on Elm Street fan. I would assume you've already seen it, Uh, but just in case, it's a retrospective look at a Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, and the life of its lead actor, Mark Patton. Um, I want to say on the front end, having grown up with this franchise, uh, I believe as far as HMP is concerned, I am probably the resident fan <laughs> of all, of oh, all yeah. the co-hosts uh, of most. And I have always liked Nightmare on Elm Street 2. I will make the argument my friend Tyson agrees with me. I think in some shots in that movie, that is the scariest Freddy Krueger ever looked. And that might be fighting words wow. for people, but I'm just telling you, there are moments, something about his eyes and just the makeup. Um, uh, Kevin Yeager's just a, the just the fa- something about him in that movie. He always just looked more demonic to me, just more devilish. He's still very Freddy. He's still got the Robert England influence on it. But I don't know. I just I mean, because as obviously the other uh, movies come along, he started to get sort of more refined in a, as much as Freddy Krueger can be <laughs> and a little bit more, you know, cartoonish right. at times and things like that. But in that one, he's still, I don't know. There was just something about his look and his feel. I always thought he was super effective. And in fact, um, as much as Daryl and Peter on retro movie geek love to bust my chops about how I always saw movies out of order when I initially saw them. Nightmare on Elm Street may be the one series that I actually, for the most part, saw everything in order. Cause I saw part one when I'm like 11 <laughs> and then I saw part two probably shortly after it came out on video because my cousin Chris was a huge horror fan and would rent everything that came out. So I would have seen this. and But the, my best memory of, of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is sort of my first real introduction to Freddy and Nightmare on Elm Street in general, which is I can to this day remember in 1985 being in a movie theater and seeing that poster where it's Mark Patton's character holding the girlfriend, you can see the glove and he sees himself in the mirror and that whole thing. Um, and, and I just remember being like, just 
entranced by that poster. I remember thinking it was cool. Even as a little kid, I remember just being like, that is so cool. So even though I had no idea what it was about at that point, I hadn't seen Nightmare on Elm Street. So I had no idea. But um, yeah, I, I've always been a fan of this movie. I think this documentary gets into a lot of the stuff about it that obviously it's been known as being homoerotic, uh, the main character uh, being the really one of the few final boys in horror, right? Certainly in slashers. Yeah. Um, and and I think in a way it's, it's very unique for a lot of those reasons. Uh, it, it is interesting to hear how people who were involved in this movie perceived it at the time i still call shenanigans <laughs> on what some people claim because it's like really you, you knew I mean, there's no way you didn't know right um but regardless i personally think that this documentary to me the most powerful aspects of it are getting to hear about mark Patton's experience in hollywood as a young gay actor in the 80s and for all the kids out there that are far too young to remember you know the 80s uh and being gay and aids and everything that went on with that was profoundly devastating for many many reasons obviously yeah. for the lives it took and for the careers it ended just all across the board and just mm -hmm. there's such a tragic element to his character but yet such a and I found it again, I'm going purely on seeing this months ago, but I just remember thinking by the end of it, just how resilient and strong and wonderfully forgiving he was in so many ways. I just, I really cared for him a lot. Like he's a guy that if I ever saw him at a con, obviously after, well, well after COVID, you just want to just go up and give him a hug. Cause he just seems like a yeah. honest to goodness, good person who is willing to do something that unfortunately a lot of people nowadays aren't willing to do, which is sit down with somebody and have a conversation and listen and consider. And I just, I don't, I found that to be really, really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I saw this quite a while ago as well. Um, with regard to the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, uh, longtime listeners will know that it's not my favorite franchise. Uh, I'm kind of, was kind of a noob coming into it, but I was also coming to the franchise with fresh eyes when we reviewed it because I had never really sat down and watched any of the movies other than probably the first and third one. I just kind of like had seen maybe bits and pieces of them. There were several that I had never seen before. I just was kind of turned off by Freddy during that era when I was growing up um, and just never really cared to see them. But I was kind of forced to watch them for the show. I found that as a series, they were a lot better than I'd given them credit for. And I also found that my opinion didn't always agree with the fan opinion, you know, because I think a lot of those fan opinions are formed through intense love for something and over a long period of time you know, of having the anticipation of it coming out and then it comes out and it's not what you expected, but et cetera. For me, it, having no expectation and watching them all back to back to back, I, I thought part two was great. You know, I, I, I mean, I understood some of the criticisms and what makes Freddy so great is that he's in the dream world. And so then to take him out of that is a problem. And I do think it struggled with making the audience care about a final boy in the way that we generally care about a final girl. But I think a lot of that speaks to what they talk about in this documentary, just kind of our sexist attitudes about, uh, about men. And, and, uh, and in this case, a gay man, which is not ever revealed in the film, but I think 
is obviously a major subtext, if not just straight up text of the mm-hmm. film. Um, it's in there. There's no denying that it's in there. And there were characters who would deny that it's in there in this documentary. And it was devastating to see the toll that this took on Mark Patton's life. Now, I don't know if it's the way he's painted in the documentary or if it's my own personal biases or just something I saw, but I did think there were times where it's like, well, okay, I get that this is hard, but he is coming across a little bit victim-y, a little bit whiny at times. And then there's this scene at the con where he first talks to Mm -hmm. the director and the cast. And he's sitting there and you've got these guys like Robert Ressler who are just so thoughtful and like, Oh man, you're like, yeah, I really see how this could have impacted you. And that must've been so hard. And Jack shoulder, you know, the director's there and he's listening and he wants to meet with him. I think it's the next morning at breakfast. And I just think, okay, like he's going to say, man, I had never considered this. And you know, I thought about this and it really impacted me. And I'm sorry for all that you've gone through. And that's kind of the transformation I'm going through as a, as a viewer. And he, instead he sits him down and is like, nah, it seems like you kind of made that all up and you're, you know, it's kind of your fault and you're being a victim and you're to blame. And I thought, really? That's, <laughs> that's, where, that's where you're landing yeah. on this. And man, I was just like, I do not like this guy, Jack. <laughs> like what a jerk, man. And, and then they, they go further to kind of confront screenwriter David Chaskin in the documentary. And those were, those two scenes were painful to see. And I, I give um, Mark Patton so much credit for being willing to kind of go through that. It would be hard as the filmmaker. I mean, I'm thinking about this as a documentary because we kind of were just presented with things as though like, well, yeah, that's what happened. But thinking of it as a documentarian, like it would be so hard to go in and, and film those scenes, especially with David Chaskin because you're kind of ambushing him and to be able to feel like you can keep the cameras rolling and you're going to make, get this shot. And like that, it takes a lot of guts and a lot of chutzpah and not just for the filmmakers part, but especially for Mark Patton to go through with that. And, um, and I do give David Chaskin some credit after he spoke to Mark Patton, but I give Mark Patton so much credit for um, the way he handles himself during the production of this film about a very, very difficult period of his life. And um, I'm just so glad that he's now having the chance to enjoy yeah. the success that he couldn't have enjoyed before. Well, and I think, and I so. think too, the key is, is anybody listening to understand the stuff that Mark dealt with is so transcends the superficialities of, of some random you know horror sequel. <laughs> like it's like yeah. the stuff he had yeah. to deal with that's all working thinking you know it's always interesting how you know we hear stories about people in their lives like to really not consider the full context and time and and what was happening and the where where the world was and where you know the the majority of people were with different topics and like all of that and and like where he ended up and like to your point like that's what i love so much about like where this documentary goes by the end of it is that you know for him to have sort of just disappear like i mean about as off grid as he could have besides you know doing what i've often threatened to do which is move to the middle of nowhere and live in a yurt uh he doesn't quite go that far (laughs) but he he goes way off grid you know because it's like you know i I mean who could blame him you know i mean just to to not even want to be uh you know in in that world anymore and to just and but to get the opportunity 
there was a real sense of redemption in a way um, to this story, I, I think, for for him. And and again, I mean, I re- again, it's been a while, but I do remember of the two meeting scenes, really disliking the one with uh, Jack Shoulder. <laughs> but the yeah. other one I thought was just interesting because if you almost like were in my mind of looking for something like how to model behavior of somebody who is sitting with somebody else who, you know, you might completely disagree with and, you know, who's actually, you know, in your mind has harmed you <laughs> in, in some significant ways, you know, just, I felt like, and again, pulling it from memory that the way that all played out, um, the way Mark handled it, I just thought was really honorable and, and, yeah. and I don't know, very, uh, uh, touching to watch under the circumstances under the circum- of yeah. ambushing the guy yeah, but yes yes yes, yes. <laughs> i mean it's hard it's hard it's a hard there you know there's a certain moral approach to documentary filmmaking that i think they are walking that line but i think they what ultimately comes of it yeah is great and i but mostly you have to give all that credit to mark Patton. i think he did a good job i do want to credit the filmmakers they did a good job roman chimienti and tyler jensen (laughs) (laughs) um yeah that they did a good job and um you know it's fun seeing it's always fun seeing the cast reunions of some of these guys so it was fun to just see the cast of uh street 2 again and um I thought this was a great documentary. It's streaming on Shutter. It is a two, I believe, ninety nine rental on Amazon as well. But um, I would buy this actually on Blu ray. I think it's a great documentary if you like kind of behind the scenes stories of uh, media and if you and then of horror films. I think it's worth a watch. I think if you're interested in kind of the story of the evolution of gay rights over you know time, I think it's an interesting watch and. Um, I would give this one probably a seven out of 10 and I would say stream it on shutter and I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I would agree with uh, all of the statements except for the number because proving uh, which of the two of us is a documentary filmmaker and is going <laughs> to, to, to go at something from that perspective versus the one who's purely going on the, uh, what's the old, uh, was it my Angelou quote about the, I may not remember what you said to me or what you did, but I always remember how you made me feel. I give this one an 8.5 because I just remember <laughs> it was extremely touching and uh, moving and I, I really enjoyed it quite a bit. So yeah, this is an 8.5 for me. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Okay, so let's find out about Snatchers. Okay, Snatchers. In 1996's Scream, Randy, of course, the character played by Jamie Kennedy, lays out the basic rules for surviving a horror film, the first of which is don't have sex. Well, for Snatchers, it's sage advice, because like most 80s slasher flicks, you know, the characters that have sex often end up on the wrong side of a machete. However, I don't even think Randy could have predicted the insanity that occurs in Snatchers when high school student Sarah, played by uh, Mary Nepi, or Napi, um, I guess is how you pronounce her name, uh, has sex with her boyfriend Skylar. Austin Freiberger plays him. In this bizarre turn of events, Sarah discovers the very next day that she's pregnant. In fact, she's so pregnant the next day that 24 hours after that, she goes into labor. There's something very otherworldly going on here. And, and, and you know, the, the movie sort of builds that up, even in the sex scene. Now, this is also a comedy, so you're going to be laughing at a lot of what's happening here as well. Sarah ends up reconnecting with her 
former best friend Haley, uh, played by Gabriel Elise. Um, and she wants to get out of this mess before her mother catches wind of it. Before her mother finds out that her daughter in one day became pregnant and delivered. But when she finally does give birth, she gives birth to, um, well, let's just call it, you know, it happens probably halfway through the movie. Not too much of a spoiler, but it's a giant insect. And it sets in motion a series of, of events that might destroy Sarah's hometown and maybe even the world. This is a real fun uh, funny sci-fi horror mashup. It was co-directed by Steven Cedars and Benji Kleiman. Uh, they both wrote the screenplay as well. Um, there's a lot of snappy dialogue. It, it sort of has teen slang in it. Um, some really impressive practical effects. I like the practical effects in this one as well, um, especially late in the film when we finally discover what's really going on. Uh, it's kind of crude at times, you know, when, when you're dealing with uh, this this uh, subject matter, it, it does get a little crude at times, but in an endearing kind of way, it's it's really not like disgusting. There's, there's something that's just so much fun about it. It's an, I, I had a great time with Snatchers. I'd say probably 8.5 out of 10. And a shout out to Kagan Breitenbach, who provided some of the music for Snatchers. Yeah, our buddy Kagan um, has been telling us about this for years because the original incarnation of this, it was at Sundance, I think, in 2016 or 2017. Wow. It was a short film. I, I don't, honestly, I'm not totally sure. It's very confusing. But my understanding was is that this was um, submitted like as a web series initially to Sundance. It was in that category, I think. Uh, we should have asked Kagan before we recorded this. But anyway, they whatever it had initially um, been, like 25 episodes of a web series, mm -hmm. is now this this feature film. I think that's what happened is they... Um, they cut it together as a feature? Is that what, I think that I might think be they, what it is. Yeah. yeah. I think they maybe even started as a feature, then cut it into web series, then put it back to feature. I honestly am not sure, but... Okay. Um, whatever it is, I, I believe that the web series content is the same content. That's what I'm trying to... Oh, cool. But it, it's 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 a it's it's a lot of fun it really is it's very entertaining and i do recommend it cool all right and next up is a movie that i'm fairly confident is not the reboot semi-sequel to the saw franchise and it's called spiral spiral is an interesting film it is a small film in scope and there are, you know, some of the budgetary things limiting the scope will keep it from blowing everyone away. But I did think it was a great movie. And I do think that it, if you're having trouble filling out your top 10 list for the year, I think this is one that uh, people might want to consider. You know, as I look over our listeners lists uh 25 people that i'm connected with have seen it um there are a couple of low ratings that are like in the five range there's one that's in the four range but most of them are in the six to eight range and there are a few in the nine to ten range uh, for me i gave it an eight uh this is a movie that i thought was very interesting I was totally unexpected, in my opinion. Um, I went in blind. I hadn't heard anything about it. I would call this a blend of Rosemary's Baby, Rear Window, and Get Out. 
but um, where Get Out is focused on race, this is focused on homophobia as the driving tension. Um, I say this is a strong psychological horror film that toys with the senses. I think that is some of the criticisms that I've seen from our listeners is they didn't like that part where it's kind of toying with your, the sanity of our main character and what is real and what is not. Uh, that didn't bother me at all. I thought it was interesting. Um, I don't think it went as far with the premises it could have. I think there were kind of some loose ends, things that were kind of set up that didn't pay off that well, but generally... I really, really liked the movie. I liked the world it takes place in. I love the main actor. I thought he was really good. Jeffrey Bowyer Chapman as Malik, I thought was so good. And I thought the rest of the supporting cast was good as well. Uh, The very short synopsis from IMDb is a same-sex couple move to a small town to enjoy a better quality of life and raise their daughter with strong social values. When neighbors throw a very strange party, Nothing is as it seems in their picturesque neighborhood. I hate that short synopsis. <laughs> Sorry, IMDb. But, um, but uh, yeah, basically this couple moves to a small town. They just kind of want to escape the hectic... Uh, well, one of them, I should say, definitely wants to escape the city. The other one is not so sure. And the one who's not so sure is also African-American. And so he's dealing with um, some of the struggles of small town life in a slightly different way than his partner is, although they're both being treated differently for their sexual orientation. You know, Malik is also dealing with a whole other set of circumstances due to his race. Um, and then yes, Malik sees something rear window esque um, through the window at his neighbor's house. And he starts to be suspicious about what's really going on in their town. And then again, it has kind of a Rosemary's baby feel to it where uh, the sanity of your main character is questioned. The reality of the situation is in question. So I I really enjoyed Spiral. I I think it's absolutely worth seeing. As I mentioned, it's 8 out of 10. It's streaming on Shudder. And I would buy it. And I think people, again, if, if you're having trouble filling out your top 10, this is one to consider. Nice. All right. And now for a movie that'll really make your head explode. Spontaneous. Spontaneous is one I thought Joel would really enjoy. Uh, and I only watched it because I thought he was going to watch it. <laughs> but it was one that was on my list. It had been on my long list um, because I had seen it on a couple of our listeners lists. Um, Amanda Williams at Horror Zest and Jody Horror Guy. They had both... Uh, liked it a lot and I had seen their reviews online I saw that they really enjoyed it um, and so I thought okay that's something to add to my list of films I might get around to but it was and you can tell just by the poster it's a romantic comedy and I don't generally uh, love horror romantic comedies they're not um, I don't hate them. Like there are some that I enjoy like life after Beth or Shaun of the dead. Those are great films, obviously, but like warm bodies, one that people love. I absolutely hate warm bodies. And I was really disappointed by Joe Dante's burying the X. So, you know, it's just not a, and I'm really, honestly, I'm just not that interested in teenagers anymore. This stage of my life. I just right. don't really want to watch movies about teenagers. So it's just not, uh, it wasn't high on my list. But, again, I did see many of our listeners have enjoyed it. Um, Spontaneous is about people spontaneously combusting 
in a small town. So it is a love story about these two young teenagers who fall in love in high school amidst kind of an epidemic where kids in their high school just start blowing up and nobody knows why. And honestly, it felt prescient. Like it felt like it was made after our pandemic that we're currently in, but it wasn't, it was made beforehand. And it's crazy because so much of it relates. And actually like, I would say this is one of the more um, cathartic contagion films you could watch where it really just feels like, Oh, this feels like kind of what we're going through. I can imagine being a high school senior while all this is playing out, you know, and it would be so hard. And as a parent, you look, I look at my kids who are young and this is being like this really traumatic part of their childhood that no one in their life has ever experienced in our entire lifetimes. I'm, you know, helping my 94 year old grandmother right now. She went through world war two, but this is she's never experienced anything like this before so it's unique and um spontaneous kind of captures that i want to read this review from slashly g one of our listeners on letterbox she said this film came out during the right year one day seniors start exploding in a bloody mess all over the place without any apparent cause virus warlocks the cosmos we don't know our main character mara has to navigate grief the uncertainty of life and how to move forward amongst the chaos her connection with dylan another offbeat movie geek high school senior helps her through the chaos and watching the relationship bloom with the anticipation of a body boom was captivating <laughs> that was well written slashly so good job um yeah i i uh was interested. And then finally, Horror Guy Bry was the guy who put it over the top because Horror Guy Bry uh, tweeted at us and he said, I want to shout from the rooftops for everyone to watch Spontaneous. I don't hear anyone talking about this one, but it's my favorite film of 2020. It's as much drama, romance, and comedy as it is horror, but so great. And Horror Guy Bry tagged us in that one. Um, and uh, and I responded, yeah, I saw this on a few other horror listeners' lists. Amanda Williams and Jody, and Jody responded, yep, it's on my list. And Amanda responded, extremely fun, clever, and overlooked film this year. Just as an FYI, it is a horror comedy teen romance, so be in that headspace. And that's kind of what I would say. If you're in the right headspace for it, if you go in knowing you're going to watch a teen comedy, and kind of as Joel alluded to, this is one of the better teen romance comedies I've seen since John Hughes. Like it's, it's clever. It's well-written. It's cute. Like it's, you, you can, you, you love these kids and they're, they're sweet kids. And at the same time, there are people exploding every 10 minutes or so. <laughs> so um, and there's not much horror to hear other than just kind of the existential horror of not knowing when you're going to live or die. But I would say it would be similar, I guess, to a slasher movie, but it doesn't have the same scare factor as a slasher movie yet. You know, kids are falling in love and doing naughty things and people are blowing up every 15 minutes. So it, it has in some ways the same structure as a slasher movie, but just tonally it's very different the horror of it all does kind of kick in more toward the end. I would say like the body explosions get increasingly um, intense as they go. And I really love the way they're done at the beginning. You're just kind of seeing a burst of blood, but um, toward the end, there's some really cool (laughs) uses of the explosion. It's really well edited. I will say, especially Uh, I I love the way they did that, but I liked this movie. It's, um, I'm not the audience for it, but I thought it was still highly enjoyable. 
And I give this one a 7.5, and I would call it a rental. All right. And now let's go To Your Last Death. All right. Uh, to Your Last Death. Where are my notes? To Your Last Death. Here we go. All right. To Your Last Death. Now, this is an animated action horror film from director director Jason Axon. A-X-I-N-N. I guess that's how you pronounce that. Uh, to Your Last Death, it's insanely brutal, but it's also a lot of fun. Now, the animation style is a little bit um, different. You know, it's it's not a... Uh, I think the best thing I can equate it to is there was a cartoon I watched when I was a, a, a kid called Hercules. And it wasn't... I saw it in the early 70s. I think it might have been from the 60s. And it's almost as if it's it's got like... It's animated, but the, they move as if... Um, you know, they're sort of cu cutouts, you know, and, and like their arms are cutouts and they're moving that way. And you get that sort of yeah. that jerky movements into in your last death as well. Uh, but it doesn't detract from um, it did detract from from the entertainment value for me uh, for the film. Uh, just a, the story, having survived the death trap set up by her billionaire father, who's voiced by uh, Ray Wise, uh, which claimed the lives of her three siblings, Miriam DeKalb. Uh, Danny Lennon uh, provides the voice of Miriam is approached by a supernatural entity known as the game master. Uh, Marina Baccarin is the voice of the game master uh, who offers Miriam a chance to go back in time and alter the outcome of this tragedy. Uh, she's confused and a little frightened, but Miriam accepts only to discover along the way that there's more at stake than she could have ever imagined. Uh, there are a lot of sleazy characters in this film. Uh, even Miriam's brothers and uh, sister have their dark side. Uh, there's a lot of bloody gore in it also. There's axes, there's guns, but uh, the most memorable mutation comes courtesy of an electrical outlet. Uh, this one, it, it kind of dabbles in fantasy. Uh, you know, you got the Game Master subplot, and there are other... Um, uh, characters, almost you get the uh, feeling from throughout history, who are gambling, who are betting on the outcome, and they're betting on every little outcome of what happens when Miriam goes back into this world and faces off against her father to save her siblings, uh, or not save her siblings. Um, they're trying to, you know, the, these people are betting on, on what's going to happen, and that's what the Game Master is really after, and even changes the rules on Miriam. Uh, a few times, you know, Miriam is, gets out and she's in the game. is like, Nope, get back here. Uh, it's, it's one of the more unique animated films I've seen in some time. Uh, and add to the fact that it is narrated by William Shatner himself. And I think this is one that most people are going to want to check out. I, I give it probably a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, but it was, um, you know, it's an animated horror film. And it's a slasher in a lot of ways. So I think it's uh, for that, it's it's worth checking out. Cool. Yeah, I want to check that out for sure. Cool. Interesting. Next up, a movie whose title I have been waiting with bated breath to say <laughs> for the duration of this entire episode. It's time for Uncle Peckerhead. <laughs> Okay, the IMDb short synopsis for Uncle Peckerhead is when a young band scores their first tour, life on the road proves tough when they are joined by a man-eating demon. So, 
<laughs> Uncle Peckerhead is a punk rock comedic horror splatterfest, um, <laughs> both highly watchable and kind of a mess. Diagnosing exactly why this film doesn't completely work was difficult for me uh, because its shortcomings somehow don't stop it from being a good time. You know, it's still enjoyable despite right. not being completely there. Wacky concept, fun cast, great music, strong visuals. But some of it just doesn't land. And I think the culprit must be the screenplay. Just going back and thinking about it, the editing could definitely be tighter too. I'm not sure that would fix the film's biggest problems. But Uncle Peckerhead manages to overcome um, its narrative weaknesses because it just has that DIY spirit. And it's got flagrant originality, I would say. It's so original. The film is also surprisingly endearing. Thanks mostly to the performances of band leader Judy. She's played by Chet Siegel. A lovable doofus Max is played by Jeff Riddle. And the titular Peckerhead, a demonic cannibal drifter, is played likably somehow by David Littleton. Uh, (laughs) Their dynamic is just weird and hilarious. And this is the type of film I'd like to see get remade with a bigger budget, but that's not going to happen. You know, you'd want to see it remade with a bigger budget and a bigger script because the directing, acting, cinematography, soundtrack, they're all pretty solid. But of course that kind of thing doesn't happen. So I will eagerly be waiting for Matthew John Lawrence's next film instead Due to its punk rock roots and eccentric approach, I wouldn't be surprised to see Uncle Peckerhead go on to become a cult classic. I think this is the kind of movie that gets passed along to f- between friends. And um, yeah, it's fun. It's a fun one. I give this one a six out of 10. Call it a rental. And I think it's free on Amazon Prime if people are interested in it. But if, yeah, if. Um, Over the top, gory comedy horror is your thing, Uncle Peckerhead is a strong entry in that subgenre. All right. So then let's go ahead and get unhinged. All right. So here's the thing I want to say on the front end. Uh, if you're not familiar, just the unhinged I am deba, uh, <laughs> description is after a confrontation with an unstable man at an intersection, a woman becomes the target of his rage earlier in the episode. Wolfman, you were talking about um, Hunter Hunter, I believe was the movie you said reminded you of like it could have come out in the 90s and be, been set in like a you know apartment complex or, you know, whatever, like Pacific Heights, Brownstones. Uh, you know, I always think of it as like the interloper subgenre of sure. thrillers, right? Yeah. It's not exactly that, just to be clear, but it's that's it's closer to that. Than yeah, what it's I, in that vibe, that, that, that vibe, that 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 yeah. ni- early nineties feel. That hand the rocks of cradle, unlawful entry. I mean, there was a ton yeah. of them, and there and I loved, the, I literally loved them all. Okay, so we're clear. It's like literally one of my favorite subgenres of thriller, and I would argue a lot of those movies have horror elements to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could totally see the arguments. Like, well, yeah, but they're not like horror horror. Okay, fair, but unhinged. Dude, I it's I they don't listen as a horror movie, okay? It's a freaking horror movie. Because A, this junk not only could happen, it happens every day. Now, not to the degree it does here. This is sort of like if you took falling down and amped it up to like 20. <laughs> like yeah, amped yeah. it up just, you know, like just crank it. Um uh, I mean, <laughs> in the first two minutes of this movie, I won't say who it is, and I don't feel like it's a spoiler to say it's in the first two minutes. Someone just 
basically goes into their home in the middle of the night and beats two people to death in the head with a hammer. I mean, just like, whoa, full, oh, full. It, it caught me so off guard the level of violence and gore in this movie. And Russell Crowe, and it's not giving anything away, it's, it's all over it. He's the bad guy, okay? And I mean, literally, the catchphrase of this is he can happen to anyone. I mean, he, this is sort of like almost a slasher movie where you you there's no mask involved. You know who he is. You know exactly why he's doing everything, and you get to follow along for the jaunty adventure. I mean, he he, he is so dude. He, like Rob Zombie's Halloween. It, mm, no, I'd rather watch this. Uh, but but uh, but it it just dude. It is bonkers, and I guess I was expecting a pretty run of the mill. You know, fun kind of you know, thriller. Like, do you remember the one with uh, Halle Berry that came out a couple years back? I think it was just called Kidnap or Kidnapped. It was one where they're, they steal her kid. They steal her kid, and she's got like it's mm-hmm. kind of like they're, she's chasing him down in her minivan the whole movie. And I love that. I like I like that kind of movie, but I wouldn't call that a horror movie. I mean, it's a fun like suspense thriller type thing, um, very by the numbers. And this, in a lot of ways, the things that happen in the same way you could probably predict maybe certain characters in say single white female or a uh, hand of rocks or cradle that one's probably not going to make it that you know that kind of thing it's got that to it to a degree but kind of like the, what ends up happening and where it goes in a couple of key moments you're like holy crap <laughs> like they went there okay cool um and uh yeah man it it, it is called unhinged russell crowe is gloriously unhinged throughout this whole movie <laughs> and and I, I do want to give a, a good nod to because i don't feel like i've seen her in anything else but karen pistorius she is the lead really i mean he is it's it's weirdly like he's obviously the antagonist she's the protagonist but they really have equal uh screen time in a lot of ways but she plays rachel and she's like the the woman who's in the process of getting a divorce she's got the the uh, young son who uh, who kind of, you know, is is an element of this. I don't want to give anything away. And that is actually played by Gabriel Bateman. He plays the son and he was in the Child's Play remake. Uh, he played Andy oh, yeah. in that. Um, he's he gr- good in that? Yeah, yeah, he's good in that. And he's great in this. In fact, I mean, I know it's always been the argument like I've heard people say about the Child's Play remake is it kind of gives credence to why you'd wanted to cast an older kid as Andy because it works better. You know, when it comes to child actors, I'm going to guess in Unhinged, he was he's probably 14 ish okay. in that. For some reason, they don't have his age. They don't have his like yeah. birthday here. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm going to guess he's in his early teens, early mid teens ish. Um, yeah. So when he was probably in Child's Play, he was probably like 12, 13. I'm going to guess. Uh, anyway, point is, I thought he was fantastic. I, the acting across the board in this thing is great. But dude russell crowe and he's got kind of i think i'm trying to remember i think it was kind of like a southerny accent and it's one of those things where we know where he started from i mean this isn't like a build-up to where like yes by you know by minute 40 he's finally gone off the deep end and he's he's doing horrible no 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 he starts right at the get-go and this poor woman who's having not the greatest day herself, right? It's that idea. We all kind of are in our own little tunnel. We're in a little bubble. We don't pay attention to everybody around us. We realize we think we're having a bad day. <laughs> and then we, we cross paths with somebody and we totally feel justified to just be like, lay on the horn. Like, you son of a, get out of the way. Dude, it's the biggest mistake ever. I will say the only knock I have on this movie is, without giving anything away, I feel like it has 
really the only knock one could have on my opinion on what is one of the most perfect horror slasher films of all time and should not have been ever remade let alone twice which is black christmas uh, but the, but the knock on black christmas the knock on the original is always the ending like really like they would just do that come on no it, you know that's always been a knock on it but they did that in that movie just so they could have that little payoff at the end right this has a similar sort of thing that you're like really like that would just they just they would just done that. I don't think that would have happened, but I get why they did it. I don't care. I loved this movie. I it was fun. Like I said, crazy violent dude. <laughs> it is so ridiculous. Um, but uh, I think that if you're not somebody who loves like a good thriller with like heavy dose of thriller with your horror, you might not dig it. But if you are somebody, uh, absolutely check it out. For me, it is. I feel like I my gut my gut reaction is I get myself all ginned up is to say like a nine out of ten. But I realize it's probably like a like a wild over exaggeration, and people are gonna be like, "Oh my god, this should be amazing!" Um, I think for most people, it's probably gonna be in like the six point five to seven category. But I'm gonna stick with uh, for me eight point five. I'm gonna say yes, eight point five, unhinged. Wow. Yeah. All right. Was I unhinged um, enough sure. while do- was I unhinged enough while doing that? Yeah, you were completely <laughs> unhinged. As far as I'm Karen Pistorius, I haven't seen her in a lot, but she is in a good Western called Slow West. I don't know if you guys saw no, it, but that was, no. that was a great film. She's great. And she's also, she's in Cargo a little bit. Um, do you remember Cargo? The yeah. Yep. Zombie movie. Oh yep. yeah. I love that. She, who is she she's that? the lady who they kind of go and um, stay in her compound. Oh and she's yeah. Interested in holding the right, baby and right. stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember I do remember her in that. Yeah. She's great. I thought she was fantastic in this. Like she's cool. she really does a great job of being somebody who is a great mix of I'm caught in this unbelievably horrific situation and yeah. I'm terrified and I'm gonna go along to get along as best I can, but then in the end does what she's got to do and is like that kind of like slips into the awesome, strong uh mold of great you know, uh, uh, I would say horror because not really. I mean, I guess it's it's a horror movie slash thriller, but uh, of that ilk of being kind of the final girl, but like takes it up to like eleven. Like she she does her good measure of kick and butt, and but at the same time, it's also realistic in that you know compared to Russell Crowe, who let's just say has some bulk on him now. Um, you know yeah. that that she, you know I think realistically, right she would not be able to overtake him, but the way they do certain things and set things up and again, some of it you'll see coming, but still it's totally satisfying. So yeah, definitely check out unhinged. It's fun. It's cool. That makes me wonder if you'd like a good woman. It's hard to find more than I did. Yeah, I probably will. I, I, I like that kind of, you know, you know, thrillery, but like, especially for some reason too, like, like the parent going on like some kind of vendetta, like, you know, the punisher sort of vibe. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm down for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think you'll like it. Very cool. Cool, Joel. That sounds good. And fittingly, the final title in our list of Screaming Online titles, it's Yummy. Okay, Yummy is a zombie comedy. This would have fit perfectly with our zombie comedy episode. Uh, well, except for the fact that it came out after we recorded that episode. But it is from uh, Belgium. And it's in both Dutch and English. You know, some of the dialogue is is uh, is subtitled. It's, so there are partial subtitles in the movie, but then half of the movie, uh, the dialogue is in English anyway. Um, to, to give you a setup here, there. Uh, well, this is IMDb. It says an orgy of blood, violence, and fun in which a young couple travel travel to a shabby Eastern European hospital for plastic surgery. 
once there things unravel? Well, yes and no. I mean, that's a, a fair, you know, that that's generally what happens, but there's more to it. Um, the star of this one is uh, Mike Newville. She plays Allison. Allison uh, was born with um, G-cups, uh, breasts, and pretty much any guy who sees them just becomes a, 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 like a sexual deviant. I mean, he's like immediately um, trying to get with her. Um, there, there's a scene where she's sitting in a car and a bus of guys, uh, I guess they're a sports team, is next to her. They see her and just immediately lose their minds and start going crazy to the point that she's uncomfortable. She wants a breast reduction. She wants to get rid of these. Her fiancé is sort of a nerdy guy, Michael, played by Bart Hollanders, who seems oblivious to the fact that his girlfriend is is generating this kind of interest from every single guy that runs into her. Um, her mother is there as well. Is, is that Sylvia? I want to say uh, Anik Christens plays, um, yeah, uh, plays uh, Allison's mother. She's going just to get plastic surgery, you know, because, um, you know, she's trying to talk her daughter out of getting the breast reduction because, according to the mother, Sylvia, any type of attention from a man is good attention. So, uh, and she doesn't really like Michael. She doesn't think that she should be with her, you know, that, that Allison should be with Michael. Anyway, they travel to this hospital, and once there, they find that, um, you know, there's some different things going on in this hospital. It's yes, it's plastic surgery, but there's other things happening as well. Um, you know, Michael gets an idea that, of that when when he uh, has a strange encounter there and he's trying to say to Allison, maybe we shouldn't go through with this. But Allison is like, what are you talking about? I really want to get rid of these things. All right. I'm going to kind of leave it there because this is a. uh there is a lot of gore. The gore is off the charts. The blood and gore in this movie. Uh, there are some gruesome moments in this one. All right. There's a side character in this, an aging musical star who people recognize when they see him. However, he's there. He had a little bit of plastic surgery done. Um, let me just say that uh, probably the most hilarious scene in this film involves this character. He had a penis enlargement. OK, what happens to this guy in this scene? I, I don't even want to go into it. I just see you have to see it to believe it. OK, um, it's crazy. All right. Uh, now, the movie's not all fun and games like most zombie comedies. There's there's horror. I mean, especially when these are infected. It's not so much zombies as they are infected uh, from something going on at the hospital. Maybe tests, maybe something uh, breakout. I don't want to get too deep into that. Um when they spring into action, that's when things start, you know, the horror really takes hold. And there's legitimate drama as well. The, these two characters, the two, Allison and Michael, their relationship goes through some ups and downs based on what they experience at this hospital. Um, and you do come to care for them. You want to see them stay together. I mean, you, you, you know, it, it, you like them as a couple and there are forces maybe driving them apart. Um, there have been some really good zombie comedies as of late i mean um you know the dead don't die and uh little monsters and of course one cut of the dead um which was was kind of like the highlight of that episode that we did yummy is is would have been part of the conversation had this come out that same year as little monsters and one cut of the dead i think it would have been part of the conversation i don't know if it's quite at the level of those other films but it is a lot of fun it's a really good zombie comedy 
and I recommend uh, checking it out. And it is streaming on Shutter. Nice. All right. So now after we've gone through all of those screaming online movies, we do have a few quick postmortem micro reviews for you. First up, the Mortuary Collection. Okay, a little postmortem on the Mortuary Collection. Uh, Joel reviewed this one on our last Frankensteinian episode. I really enjoyed this. I think, you know, as with any um, horror anthology, there are going to be stronger parts and weaker parts. This one's all directed by the same writer-director, Ryan Spindell. Um, It still does have stronger and weaker moments. The thing I like about it is it's so self-aware. This is one of the the very self-aware uh, film. And so the wraparound story, they're commenting on the quality of the previous installment. So it's funny, but like, well, that was good, but didn't really have any character development. And then the next story will have all this character development. Like, well, that was fine, but it didn't have anything that really shocked me. And then the next story <laughs> will have something like really shocking, you know? And so I thought that was a fun uh, approach. Clancy Brown is kind of at the head of, the proceedings here he's this undertaker that's uh telling the stories in the mortuary collection and uh, yeah it was it was really interesting um he has a young lady come into the mortuary who is um there to apply for a job and so he's kind of showing her around the mortuary and then also explaining to her how he collects stories as someone who um you know deals with all these deaths he's uh, kind of obsessed with the macabre here and um and it's just a great wraparound idea it it all plays into each other i think this all started out as a short film called the babysitter murders uh which was i think played a bunch of film festivals and was like a big hit short film and then they made that the final installment of the anthology and then they built the rest of the anthology kind of building up to that point which was a good idea to have a really strong ending (laughs) that they knew worked and then kind of lead up to that moment because even though like i said some are stronger and some are weaker it ends strong i would say also say this just has a very rich feeling to it i wasn't sure at the beginning it starts out with like a big giant CGI shot. And I was like, Oh, I'm not going to like this. And then it kind of tries to go into kind of like a Goonies style feel. Now it is shot in the story of Oregon. So it has a literal Goonies feel. I mean, it, it's like a lot of the same locations that you'll see. And I've, I've shot some in Oregon myself and filmed in a couple of the locations um, where they film in this movie. So it was fun to see Oregon on display in that way. Um, to be back in Astoria. I don't, we haven't seen a lot of movies filmed in Astoria post Goonies. So that was fun to just see that area. But most of it does take place inside the mortuary. Although that's not true. The wraparound takes place in the mortuary, but then these satellite stories that are in the um, anthology take place all over Oregon and they've got great locations for all of them. So it, it really shows off Oregon in a nice way. And like I said, it's just rich, uh, you know, it's, um, the filmmaking is rich. The, it's got two cinematographers. Um, one of them it shoots second unit for Stranger Things, and the other one is the cinematographer who shot The Final Girls. So if you can kind of imagine those two projects, you kind of get a sense of what the cinematography looks oh, like. Wow, uh, it looks beautiful to look at. It looks yeah. great. I mean, the production values are really high. It's kind of shocking to me that this movie 
exists because it seems like a very large budget film for being a horror anthology. I could be wrong. And I do like the new modern style of horror anthologies. Like I love, love Southbound. And I really like a lot of these others, you know, the VHS and ABCs of death, the kind of Mm -hmm. modern approach they take to the anthology. This is a throwback to the eighties. And I would say it's in my opinion, better than all of the eighties. Like it just has that feel, you know, the, the, the newer ones don't. Um, strong filmmaking, nasty little morality tales, solid throwback to 80s horror anthologies, done with a lot of character, a lot of style. Um, I give this one a... call it a 7.5 out of 10, and I say streaming on Shutter. Awesome. I'm looking forward to this one, actually. And once you mentioned Southbound, and, and uh, I love yeah. modern uh, yeah. anthologies as well. Yeah, this is more of a, this is very different from those new ones. That's why it feels kind of out of place now, because it's not doing what all of the recent anthologies do. It really feels like it's harkening back to a different time. Um, gotcha. In anthology. And a lot of the pieces are um, period pieces. I think most of them are set in the past. Oh, so, wow, like, nice. you have a story in the, I think two of them are in the 50s. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's done really well. Very cool. All right. So let's go ahead and do a micro review of VFW. Okay. So VFW is a film by Joe Begos. He made two films that same year. He made bliss, which we, me and Dave really liked a lot. I don't know if Joel saw that one. The I did not. I did not. Our house film. And then he made this one, which is like a exploitation film. So kind of the other end of the spectrum from his art house film that he made that year. Both of them were fantastic. I prefer VFW actually of the two. And according to the IMDb synopsis, a group of old war veterans put their lives on the line to defend a young woman taking shelter at their local VFW outpost who's running from a deranged drug dealer and his relentless army of drug-addled punks. And I think the one thing I can say about this movie that no other film has given me is that it made me root against the punks. So, uh, yeah. Uh, you know what's going to be very odd and this is this is a hard thing for me because i want to make sure i say on the uh the beginning here i did not hate this movie by any stretch of the imagination but here's the problem back to your earlier point about me wolfman <laughs> it's that sometimes when i set expectations so high for instance i did do this thing something i almost never do i buy blu-rays of movies i know i love and will cherish especially if they got a ton of extras you know that kind of thing like i'm very i i curate way more than i used to okay i bought this thing Sight unseen, purely, and this is not to like throw you under the bus, Doctor Shock, because I I always appreciate your reviews, but your review of it and my assumptions about it, based on trailer, based on everything, is that hey, Assault on Precinct Thirteen, one of my favorite John Carpenter movies of all time. Hey, uh, this has like an awesome cast. I also, and again, don't know if this is just attributable to getting older, love the whole like grizzled old guys, like going out in a blaze of glory, fight one more time kind of movie. I love that. Like literally it checked every single box for me yet after watching it. I, I liked it, but I guess I wanted to love it. And I don't know if it's because, which is going to completely contradict everything I said earlier when I talked about Unhinged, um, because Unhinged doesn't go, Unhinged is gory and violent, 
but mm-hmm. it's more grounded in reality. I think the way the violence in this is portrayed, it's not that it bothered me, because it bothered me, but I guess I was expecting something a little bit more grounded in reality, for lack of a better uh, way. Does that make yeah. sense? Like it yeah. it took almost like a I cartoonish think, vibe to me. I think I think we're coming to the difference between having seen bliss and not having seen bliss. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. <laughs> no, I, seriously, because bliss has that same sort of a dream like uh quality to it it makes vfw seem much more grounded in reality actually okay i mean i I, maybe it's just because the way they do do punks and because i know what real punks look like compared to movie punks but like to me i was just like okay this is like a road warrior kind of situation like yeah i guess i was expecting you know though i was i was expecting more of a sold on preaching 13 with just really old dudes and 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 i didn't get that so much I, i just i felt like it's it, there was points where I don't I guess what it is is it almost gets like um, when you've got this almost cartoonish level of gore and violence it like it it starts to become odd white noise to me like it doesn't have an effect on me like it doesn't I want to be affected by it. like I don't want to if I'm seeing it every two seconds or it's cartoonish but it's not done in a evil dead two sort of way it's like just because it felt like they were trying I mean it definitely had a quote unquote serious tone to it like I don't think they're playing it for laughs in anybody's stretch um, but I don't know it just it didn't it's not that I again make sure full disclosure here I'm not gonna give this thing a bad rating I just wanted to and this this is on me back to that I like this is like you know what this is this is your werewolf movie that wasn't a werewolf movie that's what this is where uh, I was expecting it to be this one kind of thing and yeah. it was close very close because, like, first, I like The Expendables. And Expendables isn't a great movie by any stretch. But it kind of did... It was crazy, stupid, violent. But it did it. The tone it struck worked based on what my expectation was. And this, for whatever reason, did not. Hmm. Okay. Well, I... <laughs> <laughs> disagree okay go good please <laughs> do convince me wait no Wolfman convince me while I'm wrong I want to know that I'm wrong because I wanted well, to love it I mean I don't think you're necessarily wrong I, I think it sounds like you described it very well and you didn't like what you saw I mean I think I agree with the way you described it I just really enjoyed that I guess I was hmm. expecting maybe I think this is so interesting how much expectations play into our enjoyment of these hmm. films but yeah you know, I, I was kind of expecting it to be a little otherworldly and it was less otherworldly than I thought it was going to be, to be frank. But, you know, like, you know, it's like they're on this new drug zoom kind of thing and they like they're almost turns people into zombies. And you've got I, I mean, I love the expendables nature of it. You've got William Sadler, Fred Williamson, Martin Cove, uh, David Patrick Kelly, George Wentz. And Stephen Lang is kind of the leader of these guys. And I, I, you know, I don't know what it is, but I, I love seeing Fred Williamson punch somebody in the face, you know, and just whenever that happens, I'm excited. So it's, uh, it is a little over the top. Um, you know, the gore is over the top. I think for the audience we're talking to, they'll probably be okay with that. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. It's, you know, it's got some of the, some low budget, elements that are you know that affect the the film in a negative way but generally i would say knowing that you're getting into a low budget exploitation film um it's exactly what i would expect from a low budget exploitation film and i would say it's better than average and it's a movie that feels like a throwback to a different era which is fun you know and you know it's not 
I am not necessarily the audience for a bunch of old grizzled guys, you know, beating up kids, but I enjoyed it in this case. And I thought, it, I don't know. I just, I love seeing Martin Cove. I, I really liked Stephen Lang in this movie. Um, it was just, I thought it was a blast. So, I mean, I will buy that Blu-ray from you. Actually, Joel. you don't have to. My gift to you, my friend. I will. I will make this happen. I will gladly gift it to you. But I would also say it's it's only a it's only a ninety nine cent rental on Amazon and it's free if you've got Shutter and I think those are it's so worth. And I will can I say this I agree which is hilarious because you said they'll think like you know you're not the audience and it's like I'm thinking I probably am and yet for some reason <laughs> what, what is happening? Uh, but you know it's funny is I would challenge you to watch it again. Yeah, I need to watch in, it again. In, like wait a year, watch it again, okay. and just see if you then watching it knowing what it is. Sure. No, that's fair. You like and you know what? Full disclosure, I watched it with my wife and she'll watch horror with me. Like she loved like Don't Breathe, like because Stephen Lang's in that. She loved yeah. that movie. Loved it. Like she, she is not the kind of person is going to go away for something. I mean, The Exorcist is one of her all-time favorites, okay? So she's not yeah. going to be like, oh, I can't take... No. So she... But but I think I've noticed, like, with shit, I watch certain things together. Something that if I had probably watched it by myself or with a friend who was more into that kind of thing, I mm-hmm. might have had a different reaction because I... At the end of it, I turned around like, yeah, hey, so what'd you think? And she's kind of like, meh. And it's, I don't know that it took the wind out of my sails, but it kind of felt... And I'm not blaming my wife for this, by the way. It's totally not her fault. Um, cause it, because I... I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was that I didn't like. That's the that's the weird part for me. Like I, yeah. I can't like all everything you said. I'm thinking the whole time like yeah that what that movie you just described. Totally love that movie. <laughs> but for some reason, my experience after watching, I think you're right. I think a I'm still gonna send you the Blu-ray. My gift to you. You got it recorded. Oh, let's wait. Let's wait. I want no, no, to no. Watch no. I'll I can we watch it. I'm gonna I'm gonna have my Shutter subscription, so I can always watch it there. What if you end up? What if you're like I was wrong? Well, good. But see, in a weird way, that'd be good. So who knows? Maybe I'm like setting myself up for that. I'd rather I mean, be wrong. I kind of feel like that's happening to me. Going to happen to me with Hunter Hunter. Like if I watch Hunter Hunter in a year, I'm going to be like, I love that movie. I yeah, love that. I because it does happen, right? I've had it happen where I would go back to it. Yeah. Like, God, I would. I used to not like that. What am I? What was wrong with me? So I would I, almost. I would almost say, Joe, watch Bliss and oh, then yeah. watch the. See, when you guys were talking, <laughs> I was thinking like, the, I bet you had I watched Bliss first, I probably would have had. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I think because. Joe, Joe, Josh and I had seen Bliss. Yeah, this is more grounded you in reality than Bliss. Bliss was. Oh, you think I'll hate Bliss? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know that Bliss is your kind of movie. I'll be yeah. honest with you. I don't know that Bliss is your kind of movie. But if you watch Bliss and then watch VFW, yeah, I think I'd be I interested know, to hear your reaction. That's necessary, but I will just say, like, yeah, in the context of Bliss, <laughs> okay, VFW is a different, maybe just a different. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I, it, I, I, I think it is. I think it is interesting how much our expectations play in. It does. Joel, I do think this is your kind of movie it is you just thought <laughs> yeah. it was gonna be your favorite movie yeah i think that's what right. it is i think i went in with this level of holy crap this will probably be my top movie of the year and it was pr- i i would be willing to even give this an honorable mention but the fact i think that's what it was i was expecting top five and it didn't even hit my top 10 most likely even and that's saying something because wow. i ain't got a lot you know to in, in put into a top 10 as we've established i think i couldn't and i couldn't justify to myself why <laughs> i'm like but wait a minute everything now, on paper when i watched this i thought this will be joel's top three for sure God, right? see and i'm out there it wouldn't be great if i'm just like setting you guys up for that so i could be like surprise no, i'm just kidding <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm the same with hunter hunter like how did i not i'm I, I just have an emotional trauma attached to it not yeah. really trauma but you know no, like an emotional like sense memory of like that's not what i wanted you know but yes. it, it, i loved it I loved it, but it's just like, it wasn't, you know? And so like, 
it's, it'll be weird if Hunter Hunter doesn't make my top 10 kind of. Yeah. Because I think it would have, if I, my expectations. And that's exactly the great point. Like it's weird to me that VFW is like, when I think of my top 10, I haven't even considered it. And I think on paper in every way possible, this movie should be in my top 10 at the very least. If not, like you said, my top three. Seriously. Like, I mean, there's no reason why. It's weird. Well, it's interesting comparing it to something like Unhinged, which is probably going for realism, and this is just not. This is going for fantasy, and so you know. And maybe it goes back to you said expectation because I I don't because I look I don't mind when a movie goes completely bonkers. Okay, <laughs> I have, I, many of my favorite movies are bonkers. I just I guess maybe in my head expectation was thinking of it being a little bit more grounded in that space of like a solo precinct 13 which you know is obviously yeah. i mean when you think about the, even the context of that movie is a little over the top and ridiculous but it still always feels real on some level this just started mm-hmm. to feel so cartoonish at times like it went i never got that moment like when they're finally building up to the final battle where you're like oh yeah like montage and you know i never felt that like i never got that you know, rush of like, you're, you know, you're, you're in the fire with them and you're yeah. going to, you know, that kind of feeling. I just didn't have it. Or like the, I feel like the only death of any of the guys, I don't want to say who, but the one involves a, like he, he goes out of the place and there's a parking lot across because they, they have the whole movie theater, yeah. you know, across from it. And there's like something that happens there. And, and I remember thinking, I, as if I'm remembering, cause I'm pulling this out from way back, but I think I liked how they went out okay but there's a lot of the other guys like the way they went out even it was like eh eh <laughs> like i don't know eh <laughs> hmm. I, i'm sorry yeah. i mean i think i'm yeah. disappointing I, myself I, I right now i agree with you but i think yeah yeah I I, i'm just disappointed in myself right now wolfman <laughs> <laughs> i don't disagree with you yeah. I, I i think i just think maybe i just didn't have very high expectations uh, or at least my my expectations were appropriate got I it guess, and got it you, yeah, you know, so I, I, I kind of knew what level this director was operating on. I think that's that's a big part because I'd seen all of his other movies. So yeah. I've seen mm-hmm. four of his movies. Yeah, I, don't so think I've like, seen, I don't think I've seen any other Joe, Joe Bagos movies. I yeah, don't think no, I have. for me yeah. this was his best movie. You know, yeah. and so like I was like, oh wow, this is a big step up for him. And I guess gotcha. he's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Context helps. But yeah, yeah. so do we give it a rating? Um, I don't think we did. No, we what, did. what was yours? What, would, what did you say yours? What would you be? Um. I would probably give this one a 7.5 and I would call it a high priority rental if you like exploitation films and don't mind a low budget. And actually, to be honest with you, we're not that far off each other. I'd say 6.5. Again, though, but I felt like for me, this should be a 9. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, I would buy it, though. Like, I actually would buy it. Yeah. You know. Oh, I, th- and I think it's got some decent extras on it as a recall. I think I went through most of the extras and uh, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth buying. Definitely worth watching on Shutter for sure. And finally... The Wolf of Snow Hollow. All right. And um, this is another postmortem on The Wolf of Snow Hollow. And actually, Josh, I'd like to have a conversation with you about this one, because I know you weren't quite as high on uh, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. No, I really disliked it. But I couldn't stop watching it. So I've seen this probably five times now. Oh, wow. Um, I'll be honest. Right now, and I've got more to go, it's one of my top movies of the year. I was really, I was really, really uh, into the movie. And I don't know if I went in with tempered expectations. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of got, and then it, it kind of won me over. Um, 
Uh, yeah. Jim Cummings was the writer, director, and star. Obviously, you, you, and I don't want to go too deep. Too deep, and I know you've already covered the the uh, the synopsis and, and whatnot. But he plays what could be the worst cop in the world. You know, he he's not good at his job. His father's the sheriff, played by the late Robert Forster. Was this his, and this was his last movie? It was, I guess, yeah. Was, yeah. Um, uh, Robert Forster plays his father, and, and it's really ironic the type of character he's playing and what happens to the character in this movie. The fact that you know this was Robert Forster's last film. Yeah. Um, the the people he surrounds himself with are better at their jobs. Um, you have uh, Julie uh, played by, uh, was it Ricky uh, Lindhorn, much better at being a police at uh, police work, uh. Jim Cummings character, but he's dealing with a lot of stuff too. He had a very bad marriage. He has a daughter um, getting to, um, the, you know, to college age, who's a gymnast um, and he has anger issues and he has his father who's very sick. Plus people are being killed um, by who he is convinced is a man, but who everyone else seems to believe is a werewolf. Um, the police are not well respected in this town. And when you see Jim Cummings character, you can understand kind of why they're not very well respected. Um, again, he's just not a good, he's not good at his job. Um, and yet by the end of it, you're kind of rooting for him. You know, you, you, you know, he's, he's, he, you kind of look at him as the reason this case isn't being solved. You're kind of on the side of the town that this guy, you know, it, it, this, he's the reason that, that it's not being solved. It's like, I, there's a scene where he's arguing with one of his deputies. There's a, there's a, de a deer carcass and there's a little bit of skin cut out. And he has this theory as to what it is. And his deputy is like, no, it could have been a hunter who didn't have his license. And, and Jim Cummings, his character, his anger gets the better of him. He's like, you get over here and you tell me that you look at that. He says, yeah, it's a guy who didn't have his license. You're a bad cop. You're not good at your job. Meanwhile, it's Jim Cummings who's clearly not good at his job. So there's comedy here. I did find it funny, and I did think that there were some funny scenes. I did like the scenes with the werewolf. I, I didn't... Um, you know, I thought that they were, you know, you don't see a lot of the werewolf. And when you I do, thought I thought the best scenes in the movie, to be honest. Yeah, the scenes with the werewolf. And I did like the ending where it ultimately went. I mean, I what too. was, what is your ma major issue? I guess you just didn't like the tone of the film or? I, it, it, it grows on you over time. Cause I, I think, it, and, and I said this in my review initially, it ends strong. So that's yeah. great that it ends. It, it, the best part is the ending. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it was weakest at the beginning. You know, I thought I didn't. It's not that I didn't like him because it's okay to have an unlikable main character, but I also didn't yeah. care at all about him. <laughs> like, I, okay. I didn't care what he was going through. I didn't particularly like Jim Cummings' performance. I didn't really buy it, buy it you know? Hmm. And I would have just rather seen more Robert Forrester, for instance, you know? Like, like that's. I don't know, but I, I think, but I think um, oh, geez, I'm, my mind is going blank right now. Oh, the whole the whole opening and section of the film with the the first couple who's attacked by the werewolf, that was just so weak to me that I think it just kind of knocked me out of the movie right from the beginning. That's like the first twenty minutes of the movie. You know, they right. go into the restaurant and then they're in the hot tub and all. This, and I was like, ugh, this is. I just felt so low budget and just awful to me, but yeah, it does eventually get going. And, and like I said, I think it gets better as it goes and the werewolf scenes are the best scenes. Mm -hmm. I think this is a little bit of a case with me, with Joel and VFW where I'm a werewolf fan. I am a snow horror fan 
And this was shot in Utah, and there's people I know on the crew and the cast, and mm. people who didn't know those people were saying this is like one of the best films of the year. So people who oh. didn't know the, you know, didn't have friends involved were saying like this one. So I was just like, I went into this so excited, and it was just felt like a big letdown to me. I mm. guess. Interesting. Now, I'm I'm with you on the fact that he's an unlikable character. Jim Cummings is. I didn't think he was bad. I thought he did okay. I, I liked um, his performance in this because he, I think, I think he portrayed the anger a lot of the time. That's you know What's what I mean. Like, I didn't like. I maybe I a little over the top. The character was that emotionally like what? Okay. And I, I also you know he's dealing with his alcoholism, and to me that didn't mirror. Oftentimes, the character's internal struggle mirrors what's going on with a monster, and those pay off together. And mm-hmm. for me, it just seemed unrelated, almost. Like I'll agree with that. And I don't know that his alcoholism was, um, uh, you know, something like that. Could it, it, I don't know if it, it, it wasn't even taken as seriously. I think as maybe they could have. You yeah. know, when they're dealing with the alcoholism aspect of it, um, even his marriage is only sort of glossed over a little bit. Um, but I thought that I mean his anger. I mean, this guy gets angry very easily yeah. um, to the point that he shouldn't have a gun. I mean, forget about being a cop. You know, this 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 guy, he should he should never be allowed near any firearm in his life with the way he loses his temper, how quickly he loses his temper. Yeah. And he's ruthless, um, which, yeah. is, which is what makes the dialogue funny, because it's not, yes. just a total a-hole. Right. 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 Which and nothing funny, like his then, father. Then, but then it seems to me like it lacks an emotional depth that I, you know, that you're interested in getting out of this of these other characters you know i felt like ricky lindholm's character was kind of wasted like you know i like her but she didn't have much to do and robert forrester i love but he didn't have much to do and like you said his marriage is just kind of glossed over the alcoholism is present but it doesn't have a huge emotional weight and i just feel like those were all felt like missed opportunities to get to you know what's kind of usually at the. I mean, I guess is the idea that he is explosive like a monster. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know either. I mean, it led, like you said, it led to some very funny scenes. I thought. Um, yes, it was funny. With him. It, it was. A, it's a funny movie, and I did like his performance in it. And I ultimately did make that connection with the character. I mean, yes, he's unlikable, and you don't like this guy, but yet when he's dealing with his father at the end and he's dealing with his daughter at the end, I thought there was some warmth there that started to come through and it gets even stronger at the end. Like you're saying, I think the strongest scenes in the movie are at the end where you, even as bad as a cop as he is, it's like the whole thing. Well, you know, a broken clock is right at least twice a day. You know, you you sort of get that with him that, okay, maybe uh, I don't want to get too deep into that either, but I did make that connection with the character eventually. It's almost yeah. like you like the movie in spite of him at first, and then he starts to win you over as the movie progresses. And you, I started to at least understand his anger a little bit more, if not the alcoholism. And, and I didn't really get with the whole, I mean, the scene with the wife, you're kind of like, okay, maybe he's not the worst character in the movie. They certainly portray the wife as being one of the worst characters in the movie. Um, but there was some scene. There were some deal with this a hole. So it's well, like... that's true. That's true. You can't really judge her because of of, of who they ended up getting married. You know, the, the, the it must have been an awful household to have been in when they were together. Yeah. Um, uh, I love the daughter I, as an. I thought the daughter actress did a great job as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I thought she was she was wonderful as well. Um, and I liked the relationship 
that the, sort of developed between them. I did. I really enjoyed the movie. I'm looking forward to seeing it again. I really am. But you said you've seen it five times already. That's I something. think at least at least four times, maybe five. Because I this is when I rented it. I think it's now like a normal rental price. But when everyone mm-hmm. was going crazy about it. Um, it was a fourteen ninety nine purchase. Was the only way to watch it anywhere, and so I was oh, like, "Wow, I guess I'll buy it." And then I hated it, but it was one of those things like, "Well, I've already paid for it, and I'm in the mood for a horror movie in the snow, and maybe I'll just give it another try." And I've ended up watching it many, many times because <laughs> it's there, you know. And that's like, and I'm and I'm curious. It's it is one of those things where it's like, it was hard for me to pinpoint exactly why I didn't like it. You know, mm-hmm. and so I think just revisiting it over and over again. I've lost some of my vitriol for it that I had in my original review, but okay. it's you know, I, it's just it's fine. Um, you know, but um, it's not. But I, it, you don't. I think it's Jim it. Cummings' performance for me that is the the main thing that didn't land because he's funny, but I didn't get the emotional resonance, or even I really didn't even understand where he's his character is supposed to be at. Emotionally, like what headspace the character is in isn't clear to me okay. all the time. Like he's really good at snarky and and biting, but I don't, I don't, I didn't get the. Um, I, I just didn't. I don't feel like he was projecting emotion well. You didn't. You didn't. You didn't know. You you know. You, you didn't see where the anger was coming from. It just didn't. You know. It seemed like it was just a characterization, I guess, or a caricature more than a character. Yeah. But also, okay. just like there were scenes where it would like rest on his face, and you could tell like you're supposed to. It's supposed to be sinking in, like, like mm-hmm. you know from watching movies that right. you know what why this shot is there. Mm-hmm. But I'm not seeing it on his face. I don't know if that I got makes you. sense, but okay. No, I see where I see where you're coming from. You know, like, I know this is supposed to be a moment where he has a sinking feeling mm-hmm. because I I'm well versed in watching films. <laughs> <laughs> and but I don't he, he wasn't conveying that. Yeah, he wasn't conveying that. Okay, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think I've heard he had a lot of pressure on him because I think I think he had had like a big hit with his first indie film. Um, which I had never saw, but I, I had heard like some rumblings about, and then I think this is his first studio film, if I'm not mistaken. But, so mm-hmm. I think he, I think he was struggling with like studio notes and them kind of like not being on board with his vision for the unlikability of the character as he was in production. And so I'm having to try to rework things. And so I think he was under a lot of pressure, but it's just like, um, I don't know. I, I, I do you. wonder if someone who's that young a director maybe either get someone else to direct your script so you can act in it better or right. get a, another actor so you can focus on directing or I don't know. Right. I see what you're saying. Yeah. No, I and you know what? I I'm gonna I'd like to watch it again before I put uh, those together. It's not it's a quick movie and it's entertaining enough that you can watch it again. Obviously you saw it four times without even loving it. Um so I'll <laughs> it's, definitely it's watch it. I, I yeah. honestly I feel like watching it again right now. I'm probably gonna go watch it. Oh, okay. But <laughs> <laughs> we're done. I didn't hate it. I think I was just frustrated by it. Understood. And I think I still gave it like a seven or seven point five too as well. I so. mean, I'm at probably an eight point five right now. Yeah, I really did enjoy it, and I can see it um, again. I have more to go. I don't know if it'll make my top ten, but it may make the honorable uh, mentions at least. Um, I did really enjoy it. Yeah, everyone I know liked it better than me. 
Okay. Let me just that <laughs> Every single po- okay, that's not true. Okay, so I'm looking at some of our listeners. Chris Dewey, give it a five. Dino, give it a five. So those two both give it lower ratings than me. Everybody else gave okay. it the same or higher than me. And there were several people that gave it in the nine to ten range. Oh wow. And said it was one of the best films they saw this year. So interesting. Yeah. All right, so that is the end of the show. Do not forget to go on over to horrormoviepodcast.com, submit your top 10 list so that we can share it with the listeners in our next episode. And if you haven't seen 10, that's okay. Joel is probably not going to do a full 10. So if you only, there's three that you love, do a top three. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. That's it for this episode. We'd like to invite you to get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com, where you can also find this and all of our past episodes. You can also connect with us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. And please subscribe and leave a review for Horror Movie Podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to us on Stitcher and Spotify. And don't forget to get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at horrormoviepodcast.com slash store. We'd like to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for creating our Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope you'll be back for our next episode of Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. But I think without going down this road, I've had plenty of time to rethink that movie. And there are even much, much, much bigger issues when it comes to story and structure and the basic idea of we could get into the whole themed episode about the concept of cash grabs. Because if you're going to call a movie something and obviously be quote unquote rebooting and remaking and then putting it out there, you probably got to expect that a lot of people that love the original thing that you're supposedly redoing are going to. I don't know, really hate the fact that other than the name, there's virtually nothing that ties the two together. Again, we don't want to go down this road because I'll just get all pissy about it. Uh, (laughs) I agree with you. I think they wanted to let the filmmakers make it their own. And I know that the filmmakers were fans of the original, especially the co-writer. It's a huge fan of the original, but they thought, according to them, the, the best way to honor it was to not just remake it, but to like add something to the conversation, which... You can argue, we can argue about whether or not they were successful in doing that or not. I think Blumhouse was probably doing a cash grab. You know, that's the only reason they bought the titles because they thought it might be worth money to them. But yeah. I do think they also were, you know, choosing filmmakers they thought were interesting and said, okay, this, this filmmaker might do something interesting with this material. And they were wrong, according <laughs> to a lot of people. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Anyway, that's, this is a getting off topic. Sure. Um, because because yeah. I'm a racist. That was a bad yes. joke. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you have a, you're a skinhead, right? Oh, well, that, well to right. be fair, full disclosure. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have zip ties, do you? Uh, not on me. Wow. I feel like this okay. is probably a part that you might want to excise. No, yeah, Joel, maybe. Joel, yeah. Well. <laughs>
You know, if you don't hate M. Night Shyamalan, you might enjoy Antebellum. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and, I, and it's funny because you, you're not mentioning the movie that you were referring to as far as the, the, yeah. the twist, if you like that one. That obviously makes a lot of sense. By, why by you've the never way, it. I, I've not seen either Antebellum or the movie you've referred to a couple of times. I won't say, but I know what you what the movie is just based on high level what you guys have said and what that twist is and i've heard it being openly mocked so yeah i i think um i don't know i i, I personally i'll give antebellum a try at some point i don't yeah. know if it'll be before we do our next show but i'm gonna attempt wow i was being so careful joel I, i'm shocked <laughs> <laughs> all right well i'm gonna cut out the part where i mentioned m night Shyamalan. Uh, you might want to because i that was yeah. my that was my assumption um it was that it was a certain movie um let's just say hypothetically that uh you know uh would be like something that uh, marky mark and the funky bunch would like and uh because <laughs> he's, oh, no. No, he's it's, not, not, it's not that one Oh, ooh! Now I'm excited. I I think yo, I think I know which one. Uh, let me. This is not for the recording, but no, 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 Dave. He's talking about the, the one that Andy always. Is it the one that Andy always spoils? The happening? Isn't it the happening? The one with the wind or oh, whatever? Oh no, 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 no! I was thinking no, the it's one. not that one. Okay, it's not cool. That All one. right. Well, then I have no idea because I've totally thought that's. I'm what, saying. I'm saying Josh. About, don't say what it is, Dave. Don't say what it okay, is. Okay, I won't. I won't. Yeah. Okay. I thought you were talking about a different one because a Marky Mark's brother is in. Um, one of M. Night's movies. Oh, he's in Sixth Sense. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah. Um, anyway, okay. um, sorry, let's, let's, Rabbit Trail. Rabbit Trail. Let's, let's wash this off from our memories. Yes. And thought, right? Okay. Never mind. Right. Never didn't happen. It never happened. <laughs> the Bray Road Beast. Okay. The Bray Road Beast is a film that I just stumbled upon on IMDb and it looked cool based on the poster. I was like, oh, that looks interesting. And, um, it is a documentary. Wait a minute. Oh, this is a 2018 film. Oh, never mind. I'll just do this another time. Okay, you want to pass it? You want to go, go to the yeah, next? I thought it was 2020. Okay, no worries. Because I'm a nerd. He's on the new Magna PI. He plays Rick. <laughs> and he was cast because he looks like the actor who played Rick in the 80s Magna PI. But Stan Shaw, who... I mostly love from Matlock. So I'm really revealing a lot right now, um, but Stan Shaw's in this. He's fantastic. Um, it is a change on the story. Instead of being a castle in Italy, it's an Albanian castle, but it's a similar. Hold on. I'm sorry. One second. My dramas. Microwaving things. In the background. Do you want me to pause? That's okay. It's kind of, you know what it's like? It's like in Aliens, when they're, when, they, when they're sensing the alien. I just keep hearing that beep, <laughs> beep, <laughs> beep. Okay. Um, yeah, this, uh, sorry. So, I don't remember what I was saying. Uh, Albania, Italy. Oh, yeah. 